So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzlecast, welcome to another glorious night on The Bizzlecast, as it has been the best month, week, and indeed day of downloads ever, The Bizzlecast, for three and a half years. And tonight, I have another great guest on tonight to complete the Saga Continues trifecta, Kyle Avery. Kyle, as I welcome you on, I don't know what kind of dark Sith magic you work to get me all these downloads today, but goddamn thank you, man, and welcome to the show. <laughs> Misa doing nothing! <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, thanks for having me man it's fun to be here i'm not i'm not joking though like i literally you know i'm checking it constantly with hits and it's been up in the last few months and then all of a sudden it was like 750 in the last hour i was like what i'm like what what did kyle do who'd you pay off to download all my jessica jones commentaries (laughs) i i did nothing i assure you (laughs) welcome to the show man to be sure but welcome yeah nice nice one nice you got two prequel references already this is great Uh, the the people already get to know that's what i'm here <laughs> exactly welcome Absolutely. to the show so much kyle it's been great to have tim on a bunch of been wanting to get you on i had p thug on but I, I had to get you on man because you guys it's honestly the star wars show i listen to the most and for the longest and it's thanks to paul i discovered you guys so i wasn't sure whether to count paul officially in the trifecta because he's only been on your show for a short amount of time but bottom line is i've been listening to paul for years and he did direct me to you guys initially so i figured it was only worth it uh it, it was it was worthwhile i would say so welcome so much to the show my man yeah thank you thanks for having me and uh yeah i would i would count paul as part of the trifecta yeah. now he's yeah kind of part of our main group now so yeah we have a blast over there well but, even, uh, even before he was on the show there was a lot of great saga continues conversations that started so i was on battlefront with paul today and dot dot, dot. <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it was. It felt like only natural from the slide right in there. So, welcome. Uh, the business class listeners are, are definitely familiar with the saga continues from Tim's appearances, but um, I, I will ask you the first thing I ask all my Star Wars guests, which is, you know, where are you from and how did you get into Star Wars? Oh, gosh. Um, it, I've been into Star Wars for pretty much as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I started, or I mean, the first time I watched Star Wars, I was... I think four. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, I love that I've been into it for so long and love growing up with it as a kid, obviously, but sort of my one big regret as a star Wars fan is you hear so many people that have, you know, that cool memory of like, Oh, I will never forget the first time I watched it. And, you know, it just blew me away seeing it on the big screen and the big star destroyer going overhead and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, I have no idea what my first reaction to it was. Like I can just, I, I have a few vague memories of, you know, early childhood before star Wars, but it's just something that I've kind of always known and grown up with. Um, and even as a little kid was like, 
super Star Wars nerd. Like I was always drawing spaceships and lightsabers in class and stuff like that. Um, you know, collected as many of the toys and the action figures and mm-hmm. stuff that my parents would let me buy. But then even like when they wouldn't let me buy the big ships and stuff, I'd get crafty and build my own like Millennium Falcon out of cardboard and construction paper and all that. Um, so, I mean, it was just a huge part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And then, um, as I got older and the prequel started coming out, obviously was, you know, super into that. I mean, the Phantom Menace came out when I was eight. Um, so it was still pretty young then. And, um, you know, it was just, <sighs> youth. you know, yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, again, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones were still just, you know, kind of big parts of my childhood. And it's funny cause you know, as a kid, like you kind of go through phases where, you know, you'd be super into one thing and then it's something else. And, you know, it would be star Wars and then Pokemon and then back to star Wars and then Harry Potter and totally. Yu-Gi-Oh and back to star Wars and all that. Um, yeah, Lord of the Rings. but I would say in, in between episodes two and three, I would say is when I really started getting into, um, I guess what you would call now sort of the fandom of star Wars. Like I, that, that's when I started getting into like the EU novels, um, at the time, obviously there was no social media, but I started getting into like the message boards on starwars.com and the force.net and, um, just reading stuff on Wikipedia. Uh-huh. And I mean, I, I read a few novels, but even, you know, books that I didn't have time to read or just, you know, hadn't gotten a chance to read, but would just read all the stories online, um, on Wikipedia and just broadening my horizons of all these characters and all these storylines that I had no idea existed. Um, but I also got super huge, like real big into the Clone Wars time period and reading like all the novels and stuff that they put out in between, um, episodes two and three during those years. And so, um, I, I think of those as kind of my formative years as like a hardcore Star Wars fan. Um, that was the time that I first found out about like Star Wars celebration. And I was like, wow, there are people that spend hundreds of dollars, to, like fly all, you know, across I the know, country right? just to go to a Star Wars convention uh-huh. and like hang out with other nerds and buy action figures. Like those people are crazy. And then, you know, 10 years later, I'm one of those guys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> doing podcasts and all that fun stuff but um yeah i mean it just grew from there and i've you know i got into like the video games and um i'm not as much into the comics i'm i'm not an avid reader but i do it like i enjoy reading i'm a slow reader and i'm kind of just picky and choosy about uh what kind of stuff i read I'm definitely a game Paul writer. and Tim have given you a hard time about that recently. On I'm the, sure like, they have. I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they give me a hard time about it on our show all the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, that's what I meant. I'm saying on your show, they've been giving you a oh, hard yeah. time. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. My, no, no, no not to me. With, no, no, no. <laughs> Although um, Tim did, Tim kind of slipped it in in the last one because I mentioned doing like with the, all the new awesome like prequel and uh, Clone Wars era books coming out. Like, oh, we guys should do a book club. And Tim slipped in a little out of Kyle Never Reads or something like that i was like well, that can't be true but but the prequels are my jam though so like I master mean, we apprentice so much- you're gonna be like opening day like i got it yes yes i don't know about opening day but i that's yeah. definitely on my list yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, no, but i mean like pre-order like make sure it's at least in my mailbox on my night yeah. table for when i need it yeah 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 um yeah. and right now i'm reading thrawn alliances oh uh, nice yeah because i mean i well i read the first thrawn novel actually i mostly listened to the audiobook mm-hmm. um but I actually also had the hard copy that I had gotten for Christmas. And so I, I read like, yeah. I don't know, three quarter or like I, I read or listened to most of the way through the audiobook and like got home from work one day and had been listening to it in the car. And, you know, when you get to like the last section of a book where it gets really good and you like don't want to put it down. Um, so I just went inside and picked up my hard copy and read the rest of it that night in a few hours. That's awesome. Um, but then, of course, I put out a sequel and it's like 
half about Thrawn and Vader and it's half a Clone Wars story. Yeah. And I'm like, I've got to get this. Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, ha- we have so many topics to get into and uh, uh, well, I'm sure the side continues will come up a lot later. So let me just ask from your perspective, because I got it from Tim and, and uh, I can't remember if Paul was officially on yet when he came on. It was like right around that time. So what, 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 you were, um, well, first of all, okay. So guys, Kyle's slightly younger than me, Tim and Paul. I, 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 you would, you're like solidly a millennial. Like we're on the border of being like too old for millennials. You're kind of a yeah. millennial. Like you're right in that like sweet spot of, you know, and so you grew up being younger with the prequels, which I'm, I'm very envious of because I was not young enough to see the originals in the theater and I was sort of too old to see the prequels in the theater and, you know, not appreciate it later in some ways but man if you grew up between two and three when the clone wars came out in 2008 you must have shat your freaking pants oh yeah well i was a little older by that point i mean i'm i'm 27 well i know but just the nostalgia right of pushing back to that time period yeah well yeah i mean the clone wars when that came out in 2008 i mean i was super excited for that i mean because i was i was a little bit on the older side i think i was like 17 in 08 when uh you know, when the new series started. Um, and so, you know, I wasn't like, you know, a little kid just getting excited about watching cartoons, but I also didn't feel like I was too old for it, you know? And I mean, I've always kind of been a kid at heart, like aside from star Wars, I've also always loved, you know, Disney movies and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, a star Wars animated show, I never had any qualms about, I wasn't like, Oh, this is going to be dumb. It's for kids. I'm too old for this. Like I was like, no, it's new star Wars stories and said in the clone Wars time period, which is, you know, it's always been one of my favorite uh, periods of Star Wars lore. So I just ate that stuff up. And the whole time that series was on, um, I I could not be more excited that it's coming back. Let me just put it that way. Well, it's too bad Star Wars is dead and everyone's given up on the franchise, right, man? <laughs> <laughs> So, Kyle, so there's this tradition in the Bizzlecast of me making fun of myself, but also backpatting in certain ways. And I've been trying to figure out why the last six months have been so fruitful. And part of it is my Star Wars stuff always does the best. And The Last Jedi, let's be honest, and Solo and everything in between has generated lots of talking points. And the main topic mm-hmm. today, guys, other than talking about all the nudeness, like The Mandalorian, and which I'm extremely excited about uh, in terms of nostalgia from my childhood um, and just the future and the Clone Wars coming back, obviously, in Ahsoka and so many great things things but the main thing is that even though i've been listening to kyle and uh and tim for a while kyle you're in my uh, like both the 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 uh, the timetable of our shifting of perspectives and how it shifted on the last jedi was like almost exactly the same but it wasn't like like you were making points i wasn't thinking of but then i was but i would come to your guys podcast and be like yeah last jedi is so underrated then three weeks later i'd be like "Ah, i'm kind of cooling on it and you'd be like yeah i'm kind of cooling on it and then three weeks later like it was really weird because i I talked to tim about how like you know I, i love hearing tim's opinion like in the past generally you and i have aligned a little bit more in our perspective on the new stuff stuff for some reason the last jedi thing happened and so why don't we just dive right in to to what i would argue man even more than the prequels because that was spaced out over six years the last year and really the six months from christmas to labor day is the most insane swings of star wars fandom of all time you know going from total Mm -hmm. anger hopelessness 
you know, racism. I mean, just horribleness, but also fans like coming together as if we were like a political party uniting against the other party. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah. So it actually resulted in some goodness. And then even though Solo bombed in the box office, like fans loved it. And the Clone Wars announcement smacked us all over the head. And the Mandalorian has been one thing after another. It's gone from Kathleen Kennedy's getting fired to we're promoting her indefinitely and giving her an Oscar award. I mean, it's like unbelievable how much things have changed. And so I think the thing is, like, I had a feeling very early on that the Star Wars fans would come together as ugly as it got and was very hopeful that things would turn around. I couldn't have foreseen the Clone Wars, even though I did call Siege of Mandalore a year ago my podcast. Um, but... Uh, I, 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 I don't know. I was very optimistic about it, and I cultivated guests who both liked and disliked or were so-so on The Last Jedi, but certainly were not haters. We were able to talk about it openly, but we're generally trying to be positive about things in Star Wars. And that's one thing I love about you guys, is you guys can be very critical, but you guys are coming from a, like a literary critique standpoint, not from a, like, we're trying to shit on everything standpoint, you know? Which can be mm-hmm. a fine line at times, but like I never feel like you guys like ever want to shit on the property, as you said in your most recent podcast when talking about Resistance, which we made not get into because i honestly haven't had time to really watch it but you're talking about you know like you're always looking for excuses to love star wars right and so when they give it to us and one out of the four movies we don't love you know and everything else is getting good i i'm not shocked that the fandom turned around this this fast but let me throw it to you are you shocked with the speed and or the um extremity with which things flipped one way and then back another or do you actually not perceive that that, that that's quite happened in the fan base no, I definitely think, I mean, like you said, it's been a very up and down year. Yeah. Um, we've had a lot of interesting stuff to talk about, a lot of shifting of opinions, and I mean, a lot of big things, both kind of positive and negative happening. But I think you kind of just ride with the flow of like all the new stuff that's coming at us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that like, again, people like you and me have shifting opinions on the last Jedi. Some people have always loved it. Some people have always hated it. And I think a lot of people are in between and have either, you know, their opinion has either become more positive or more negative over time. Um, And I think that's been a constant, you know, especially this whole year when you think about just star Wars and the things that people are talking about and the thing that's the things that are kind of um, bringing up the most discussion and the most, you know, whether it's controversy or just, uh, constructive discussions or whatever. I mean, the last Jedi is always there. Like it's been the biggest thing of this year, no doubt. Um, but then, you know, with something like, like you said, the clone wars coming back, um, that was something that really brought people back together. And I'm not, I mean, I was surprised that that happened, but I was not surprised at the positive reaction to it. Mm -hmm. Um, actually I, I might've been a little bit surprised just that the reaction was as, positive as it was i thought the, I thought um, the box office was well below and the reaction was somewhat above what i was expecting yeah it wasn't exactly on, on, oh for yeah. for solo you're talking about oh sorry i thought where you were going my bad oh no no so i was well, i was talking about the clone wars announcement just as as the oh. polar opposite yeah. of the last jedi in terms of like you didn't hear a negative thing about that um and again, not that I was expecting to hear any ne- to hear anything negative about that, but it was still was sort of pleasantly surprising yeah. to see just how many people were as like as excited about it as I was because I knew my excitement was going to be through the roof and kind of like I, I well I was like you I had a feeling we were going to get Siege of Mandalore oh yeah 
Yeah. If you read the cards, if you looked between the pages, right? I mean, it seemed to be written in this guy. I thought it was going to be live action or a new series of some sort. I'm thrilled they're doing it this way, but I felt like for sure. We see Dave Filoni's drawings and his vision for it from a couple of years ago and Ashley Eckstein's reaction. I'm like, how can they not do this? This is gold. And the fact that they hadn't released it yet as like a comic or one of the animatic reels on StarWars.com or done a novel or something like that. And the fact that, you know, you have the Disney streaming service coming next year, which seemed like the perfect platform for something like that. Um, And the fact that, you know, they announced it at San Diego Comic-Con and they had an entire panel dedicated to the 10 year anniversary of Clone Wars when we had Resistance coming out later in the year. And I mean, I was like, well, why wouldn't they do a resistance panel instead and wanting to be, you know, showing that off and promoting it and whatever. And just knowing the history of these panels and the way that, you know, Dave interacts with the fans and he's always got something cool to show off and he's always got something up his sleeve. To seeing Matt Lanter pump his fist, Ashley Eckstein yeah. crying tears of joy. You're like, oh yes, it's we're yeah, back. exactly. We're back. Yeah, and they, yeah. that's why you know they don't seem shocked to me. They just seem yeah, they're just overwhelmed, ecstatic. Yeah. You know, just so yeah, overwhelmed by the the fan response to it. Um, I don't even remember where we were going with all this. No, 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 no. It's talking about the flipping of the fan reaction, which is exactly this. And I was, I was just going to interject. You know, again, if you, if you guys out there have listened to my podcast with Tim or pretty much anyone, I'm constantly praising Kathleen Kennedy, including defending her during the Last Jedi for giving Ryan Johnson creative freedom, even though I didn't, you know, love all of his decisions necessarily. But then she doesn't get credit when all these other cool things are announced, and that's fine. I mean, that's the job of CEO. She gets paid a ton of money. She's she's famous. She's powerful. She has an amazing life and family. She's best friends with Steven. Spielberg and George Lucas. I mean, who can argue with that life? You know, but at the same time, it, it is interesting that we're, we're, people are so quick to crush certain people when they don't get what they want. But we don't thank them for the amazing things when we start getting the amazingness. And I think Solo and the plus the Clone Wars was was getting us back on the road towards amazingness in Star Wars, right? Or at least in terms of perception. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I mean, with Solo, it's a little tricky to figure just because. I mean, again, the. Um, you know, sort of the perceived uh, failure of it at the box office. But, you know, you look at it now, um, I mean, I've heard, like, it's doing really well on, like, DVD and streaming sales and all that kind of stuff. And, um, oh, yeah, yeah, most people most people seem to love it, or at least, you know, I mean, the, the reaction ranges from maybe, like, mediocre to really good, depending on who you talk to. But there definitely has not been the same level of divisiveness like there was with The Last Jedi. Like, nobody hates Solo. Um and so, but you know, you, yeah. you make a good point though about um, sort of Kathleen Kennedy getting credit for certain things because this, I feel like, especially with the animated stuff, yeah. I mean, we're so quick to praise Dave Filoni and he deserves all the praise in the world. I mean, Preach, when, brother. I know where you're going with this. Keep and, going. I love Dave when Filoni. He, when he announced that Clone Wars was coming back, I mean, people were bowing at his feet practically. Um, but you didn't really hear a lot of praise for Kathleen Kennedy for that. Um, and I mean, you know, she, as far as sort of the public perception of like what she's more involved with, like she doesn't come out and do a lot of interviews or whatever talking about like Clone Wars or Rebels or Resistance. I know. I just wish people um, would realize the small things. Like if you look back at the Big Last Jedi panel, you know, with the full cast from, um, was it Celebration last, uh, last year? When, when the hell was that? 
spring of 2017? Uh, 2017? Yeah, so I guess that was last year. And Kathleen was there, and Ryan was there. We know Ryan signed all the autographs and blah, blah, blah. The first thing Kathleen did before talking anything about Last Jedi was thank the fans for supporting Rogue One because it's opening up so many doors for them. Like, she made sure to circle back and be like, we're not just promoting the new thing. We want to thank you for that other amazing thing that you guys came out and supported. And I'm sure you know, Kyle, my general love and obsession with Rogue One and specifically Felicity Jonas Generso and and uh, uh, Diego Luna as Cassian Andor as well. Um, but generally Rogue One as my as my fave. And, and I think that just shows, I mean, Kathleen was right to send that script back to the drawing board. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you see the early trailers compared to the later trailers of Rogue One and it's like the action and visceralness it gets maybe uh, is just as good. Like they already had that, the, the Saving Private Ryan stuff nailed, but they needed character building stuff and some different mm-hmm. added dialogue you can just tell from the early to the late trailers and i don't know why that should be such a bad thing and all you have to do is look at the fact that the last jedi was a quote-unquote perfect production and alienated half the star wars world but rogue one and solo had major upheavals of various sorts and yet are considered like the best of the new movies by some hardcore fans you know if not if not many um or certainly some of the best star wars movies i will say i know people who like rogue one who love rogue one obviously a lot more people saw it than solo i don't know anyone that hates solo because those people didn't even go to see it like my, mm-hmm. my my even my nerd friends who are maybe like dc people or marvel people not so much star wars people like it's divided among like i saw solo and i really liked who loved it or i didn't even care about an, a han solo story and i didn't even bother going that's just been my experience but um i don't know yeah um well let's go there for a second i mean what did you think about solo and the sort of tepid box office response but also the the overall very positive fan response coming back from let's be honest what four months um five straight months of of last jedi and craziness yeah well i mean as far as the the box office response i mean i think solo had a lot stacked against it um i do i think it was a huge mistake for them to release it in may and not december um and i think it would have been i think it would have performed a lot better if they'd released it um along the same time as they've been releasing all the other star wars movies so far i mean i know may is traditionally like when star wars movies have come out in the past like with the original trilogy and the prequels but you know in this new era again that's disney's fault not kathleen kennedy's fault i don't know why she couldn't convince them though well yeah yeah oh no no and i'm not i'm not criticizing kathleen kennedy i'm just talking about the overall performance of the movie i know but it's so frustrating because they literally would have made three to four hundred million more dollars by just moving it to christmas they're up against aquaman and bumblebee i, I mean yeah it, that movie would have made seven eight hundred million in, on christmas especially with the added marketing campaign they would have had time to do a real awesome trailer which we never really got it's it's just frustrating but you know guys out there like you can be frustrated with decisions and not think that they're terrible decision makers you know I mean, because let's mm-hmm. be honest, firing Lord and Miller and hiring Ron Howard, 90% of the people who saw Solo, I think would probably have approved of that move if they knew everything behind it, you know, if they're not hardcore followers or podcasters or whatever like us, you know, man, but like it was headed in not a direction that was what we saw on screen. And most people seem very happy with what was on screen. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, obviously, I can't speak to that and say like, oh, it was definitely the right decision because I saw Lord and Miller's footage and it sucked or anything like that. But, you know, just based on the reports that we've heard, um, you know, I I trust the people involved with this and, you know, Kathleen Mm -hmm. Kennedy and Lawrence Kasdan and all those guys. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, this ain't their first rodeo. No, and uh, no, no, no. yeah, I mean, like you said, you look at the way that Rogue One turned out and everybody was worried about that because there were big reports about, you know, the just how much the movie they were reshooting. Yeah, but and that's misunderstood, you know, was, too. Gareth Edwards had just as much control during the reshoots of the direction as he did. He wasn't the writer. Like, that's the thing. The problem is when you have J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson writing movies that people have different reactions to, they assume everyone's writing their movies. Gareth Edwards is a director, not a writer. He was never Oh, involved. I know. Well, no, no, but yeah, what I'm yeah, saying no, is, he, like, th- like the, the, the upheavals of the movies are different and the results are different. We're still getting great movies, but, like, replacing Lord and Miller with Ron Howard was a much more radical move than bringing in uh, Tony Gilroy and a couple of more writers to help. Uh, to touch up the the Rogue One script uh, and do some reshoots there, but again, you know the mainstream audience they they just see the headlines reshoots, and I was guilty of this too, man. When they when they announced the Rogue One reshoots, you know six eight months before, I was like, uh oh, they're Disneyfying the movie, and I publicly ate crow my podcast many many times. Obviously, it's my favorite Star Wars movies as I've said, and so you know I was thrilled with how it turned out, but you know I learned my lesson with that, and uh, but it's it's hard to communicate that stuff, right? If you're not wrapped up in on a daily basis, like we are well yeah but um i mean just you know to sort of finish that thought like even with as big of the problems or as at least with as as much sort of perceived trouble that rogue one was in going through all those reshoots and stuff yeah you look at the way it turned out and i'm right there with you like rogue one is my favorite of the new star wars movies um and i think thank you it's I knew you were going to say there, that, but still, thank yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> there, there are a couple areas where you can maybe tell sure. that some things were, you know, sort of reshuffled around or whatever. But, it, like, it doesn't feel like a patched up, yeah. you know, movie that was fixed at the last second. Like, it feels more or less, you know, seamless and like a, a well-executed vision. And so when all this stuff started happening behind the scenes on uh, Solo, um you know, I was like, well, you know what, just trust the process. Like as much as it seems like this might be a negative, you know, it, it worked out well with, uh, with Rogue One and, you know, I'm sure they're doing what's in the best interest of the movie here. Um, but just going back to that initial thought about, you know, just the, all the cards that were stacked against it. I mean, I think it wasn't just the, well, I think the timing played a lot into it, but it was like, you think about what it was up against at the box office. It came out on the heels of, uh, infinity war and uh, Deadpool two. Black Panther, Deadpool two. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, well, I mean, black Panther, I guess was still in theaters. No, but I'm saying point, the same people who spent money on black Panther, uh, black Panther, infinity war, both made almost exactly 700 million domestically. So that people had yeah. already paid twice. And then the adults that went to those movies also, saw Deadpool so that's three movies in four months which is not cheap these days you know so by the time yeah. Solo comes out and the kids are in finals it's like what are you gonna do yeah and I think there was still a lot of negative buzz around The Last Jedi then you had people that were you know boycotting or that were just you know not super eager to jump right into another Star Wars movie hey guys that- out there stop boycotting find another property it's okay we won't be angry if you want to go yeah. go to something else like honestly no hard feelings please yeah. And I mean, again, some of it was boycotting, but I think some of it was, you know, maybe just a bit of, of Star Wars fatigue, too, for, yes. you know, people that maybe were still interested and like weren't outright boycotting it. But they're just like, eh, I don't know that I need to go spend money on another Star Wars movie right now, especially people that were put off by The Last Jedi. And so I think they needed to, uh, you know, they needed to not go up against that competition that they had in the summer blockbuster season. They needed to give The Last Jedi more time to breathe and, you know, let people kind of get over that. Mm-hmm. They need to also have that time to 
like you said, build up a proper marketing campaign because I think I'm still shocked that like we didn't get the first trailer for Solo in mm-hmm. theaters with the Last Jedi. Yeah, because, Tim pointed that out a bunch of times too. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, I mean that's what Marvel does. You go to see a Marvel movie, especially because the final Rogue One trailer two months before the movie with the Vader reveal and just all the character action and the music and the effects like blew people away. I think that's the best Star Wars trailer. If you look at all the Star Wars trailers, I think the final Rogue One trailer is the best. And if you look at the, the the results based on expectations and what you know is perceived uh, instability, blah blah blah, like it had a huge effect. We never got that final Rogue One trailer feel for me from Solo. I agree with you. Yeah. Well, at the same time, and I mean, we can. Uh, well, I'll get into this oh. more too. Kind of give my thoughts on the movie itself. Please. Yes, um, please. But I mean, I just feel like. I don't feel like there were as many moments in Solo no. that made for a really cool trailer. You know what I mean? Like in because in Rogue One you had all those big battle scenes as if there were a lot of kind of money shots that you could put in the trailer to And that's why I think sorry to interrupt you, why they, they initially had Lord and Miller and then fired them. They had Lord and Miller to make an amazing trailer and they're like fuck, we, but it's not going to be an amazing movie. So yeah, we'll have a more conservative director with a more subtle touch. And artistically, it worked out great, you know, but you can see the Lord and Miller trailer would kill and it would have made more money, man, but it might have damaged, you know, what we thought of Han Solo potentially and damaged the franchise. I guess the main criticism of Kathleen Kennedy would be, why did it take so long to recognize there was a problem between the Kasdan script, the actors, and the original directors? That Right? That would be like a very... Very fair critique. Sorry, I, I cut off your your, yeah. your, your critique of, of solo, but I just you you br- sort of hinted at that earlier, and I wanted to to you know not just fall all over my praise of Kathleen Kennedy. Say she is responsible for some of this stuff. So go ahead, buddy. Yeah, well, and going back to what we were just talking about too, I also think that especially once they fired the directors, I was baffled every month that went by that it was like okay you know ron howard is still working on sort of restructuring solo and they haven't gotten back into shooting it and i'm like and this was in like september october of last year and i'm like and they haven't pushed the release date back to december yet because why like it makes no sense i don't know i kind of had a bad feeling about that from the get-go luckily the movie didn't end up feeling like it really suffered because of that i mean it didn't feel Rush. DC Comics and Warner Brothers is so scared of episode 9 that even the Wonder Woman so the originally Wonder Woman was supposed to open up against Episode Nine. Then they moved it a month earlier, and then they they don't even want that. They so they push it to summer of 2020. I'm not saying that's the direct response to Disney, but you combine you know Lion King, Aladdin, and and Star Wars at the end of next year. I mean Disney is just going to be smoking everybody. So everyone's oh, yeah. moving their Dis- stuff around. So you move Solo to Christmas, even with a mixed fan reaction and, and, and miss right and mixed uh, reviews. Like you're gonna make seven hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> yeah, you would think. Yeah, you would think. Um, and I mean, I do know that, like, I it's hard to say if Solo would have made that much money if they had moved it to a different time slot because I do still think there was. I mean, I, I think one of the factors that led to it not being as successful is you have, um, you know, there was still a group of fans that just weren't that interested in a Han Solo origin story. Um, but I don't think that was enough like that by itself. I don't think it was enough to bring it down as much as it did. Um, I was kind of in that camp where I was like, you know, it wasn't top of my wish list of things I wanted to see. I wasn't super excited for it, but obviously it's a star Wars movie. I'm still going to be there day one. Um, 
But then, I mean, as far as just reaction to the movie as a whole, I mean, I love that it seems like the fan reaction has been so positive. Me too. Um, to the point that I was almost a little bit surprised because I... I'm surprised too. Yeah, I, I like the movie a lot. I'm surprised. Um, but I think I can easily say it's my least favorite of the new Star Wars movies. And it's not because it's oh, wh- bad. Wh- wait, wait, hold on. You, you have Last Jedi above Solo? Well, okay, here's the thing. I need to watch oh, this. is great. Go ahead. Go, go, uh, go on. Go on. First, <laughs> I, let me preface that by saying it's been a few months since I've watched The Last Jedi. And I, I've been meaning to rewatch it again because I feel like I it's it's time for a refresher and i need to kind of see where my i think we have the same exact order with the bottom i i have rogue one force awakens solo last jedi you have that just reversed at the end yeah i think i would say rogue one force awakens last jedi solo rogue one or last jedi definitely is more of a mixed bag for me but it has a it still has a lot of stuff that i love and a lot of really great scenes um and then just, you know, some things that I have issues with. Solo, I don't really have any issues with. Yeah. It's just, like, it's good but not great. Like, it's, yeah. it, and it's, I think it just executes well what it sets out to do. It's a fun adventure movie about Han and Chewie and Lando on the Falcon, and they're pulling off a mm-hmm. heist. And, you know, but just, like, there's no... First of all, there aren't really any like high stakes because we know all the main characters in that movie. Which in theory is good, right? It doesn't always have to be an end of the universe scenario, but I agree with you. It did well, yeah. it did feel weird for a Star Wars movie to not have high stakes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. there's not really any high stakes. There's <laughs> not really any like big epic battles that we're mm-hmm. used to seeing from Star Wars, and all of that is fine. I I mean, I enjoyed it for what it was as sort of a nice change of pace. And we've been talking about this a lot on our show mm-hmm. recently that. I think this would be a great kind of thing for them to continue on their streaming service where you can have, you know, make something like this, stretch it out into like a 10 episode miniseries. We are so on the same wavelength. I swear to God, I didn't steal this from you guys, but I, I me and Simi, my main Star Wars contributor after the movie, I said, Simi, because he, he's the biggest Han Solo fan. He loved the movie way more. He, was, he, he dared not believe that he would love it because that's how much he loves Han Solo. And he absolutely loves the movie. It's like right below Rogue One for him. And I was like, Simi, one of the best things to come out of this is to prove that Disney is going to kill it in the television format. I mean, I can. it, it feels like Game of Thrones, Star Wars edition, ready to go. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like this is. I think The Mandalorian is going to feel as high budget um, you know, and even higher stakes, obviously, um, than, than, than Solo, right? It, it, and, and I felt like Solo, if anything, had so much content, it could have been two movies or like a five-part, you know, Defenders-esque miniseries or something. Yeah, it definitely could have been. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it also leaves room for uh, a sequel or at least, you know. Yeah. Oh, no, but you're – sorry, but to your TV um, your TV observation, I wanted to ask you about that because – I had, we had the similar observation was where I was going with that. So why do you think that that is indicative of where they're going with television and, and is, is a great sign for that? Well, I think just because, I mean, looking at, like in looking at the fan response to solo versus the box office response, I think that's not the type of story that's going to get people to come out and spend a billion dollars at the box office. Um, it's, and it's more, I don't know. It's it's the kind of thing that like maybe not everybody's going to be into, but Star Wars fans who are interested and who want that kind of of content and you know those kind of side stories and backstories about certain characters and whatever. Um, 
you know, you, you, I think that plays really well with a series like, you know, for example, I'm not a huge comic book guy. Um, I go see all the Marvel movies. I love them. I haven't really gotten into the Netflix series. Um, but oh, I know they're, they're good. I know people who are bigger they're fans good. who absolutely love that stuff. Yeah. But I think be, especially because they're kind of trying something different and going with, you know, darker and grittier and stuff like Daredevil yeah. probably wouldn't do as well at the box office. But you put it and you know, somewhere where it's a little bit lower risk, lower budget. Yeah. So I guess, I mean, where I'm really going with that is just, you know, the fact that solo is, it's a fun ride. It's a good star Wars story, but it's can I give you a hypothetical. Can I give you a hypothetical? Can I, let me give you a hypothetical yeah. based on this. So let's say the Disney streaming service was already in full effect when Kathleen Kennedy had to make that decision, uh, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever. Does she at that point go, Maybe we actually hire Ron Howard to do a six-part, like, BBC kind of, uh, you know, mini, just in terms of the six-part miniseries of this, of, like, right, of, like, 45 minutes to an, like, like, is it possible that that actually, like, forwarded their desire to have a streaming service? Like, they're maybe realizing a similar thing to what you and I are talking about, that, like, if we had the outlet on television, it gives us more options to do stuff like this, like The Mandalorian, for example. Yeah, maybe. Well, and here's the thing, like, I mean, I don't think that they would have pulled a complete 180 in the middle of production and said, hey, you know, we've written this as a movie or we wrote this as a as a movie. We're producing it as a movie. But let's go back to the drawing board and split it up into pieces and make episodes. I mean, it's a different storytelling format. So I don't think that would have really worked. They definitely could have decided, you know, hey, instead of putting this in the theater, we're going to just put it on the streaming service. Because um, I think on our last episode, I think Paul brought this up and made a really good point that, like, you don't really need to advertise for Netflix. Like, all you got to do is put it on the front page. Like, everybody watches Netflix. Or obviously, you know, next year it's not going to be Netflix. It's going to be the Disney streaming service. Um, And occasionally you see some trailers for, you know, new Netflix series coming on, like, social media and stuff like that. But it definitely is not as big of a marketing push for, like, you know, when you're putting out a big blockbuster movie in the theaters, right? Like, you don't see... uh, mcdonald's doing tie-ins with stranger things um you know borderline you you just you know you you put your trailers on the social media and you have it on the front page of your service when it comes out and people are going to watch it and then it spreads through word of mouth it spreads through social media and so with a movie like solo i think you know they definitely could have especially once it started having problems and once they brought ron howard in and stuff like that like if the streaming service had been up and running i think maybe it would have been a better option to put it on there um that's all i was saying was maybe they would consider it yeah 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 for sure um and i think definitely i mean in the aftermath of that with the um the budget by the way is a huge point that you made which is that $100 million for 10 episodes of Star Wars television is nothing compared to the half billion they dropped on Solo Star Wars Story. Especially, as you pointed out, much less marketing, much less ad budget. People are going to come to it. They're already at home. They're already with their kids or with their families or whatever. Just turn it on. So a $100 million television series, guys, is going to look like a $250 million Star Wars movie because they don't have to spend it all on the stupid McDonald's promotions and so forth that you... I think. I, I think it's going to look better than anything else on television, is my prediction. 
Yeah, I sure hope so. I mean, it's yeah, it's well. kind of hard to say right now. Dude, Rogue One is flawless. I watch Rogue One all the time. I can't believe how good Rogue One looks. And we'll say what you about Last Jedi. Last Jedi looks basically flawless. I mean, oh, Last Jedi looks phenomenal. phenomenal. I mean, I think- and Solo looks phenomenal. I the thing I was most wrong about was I was hearing ahead of time that because they had to cut corners in other areas, Solo's special effects were so so. I did not feel that way whatsoever. And with all the practical aliens and everything else we got, I was blown away with how good Solo looked. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely think the I mean, as far as the effects and stuff, I mean, Solo was great. I think it's more and I don't think this is like a a constraint of the budget or the time that they had to work with or anything. It's more just I mean, like I've been saying, the story itself, it's just not that grand in scope. You know, if Solo ended with an epic space battle or something, you know, with with Han and a pirate gang trying to take on a whole Imperial fleet or something like that, Mm -hmm. um, I think it definitely would have suffered with, you know, the the timeline that they were up against. Um, But, you know, I feel like it it wasn't a super effects heavy movie compared to, you know, The Last Jedi and Rogue One and where, you know, you have all these epic battle scenes and all that kind of stuff. When the actual Kessel Run is the best space shooting i've ever seen i mean it looks so much better than guardians of the galaxy it's not even close like i know people love the marvel movies i grew up a marvel guy i'm not as hardcore as paul and i'm not as hardcore of an mcu lover as paul i I do you know i in 2014 i was thrilled about captain america the winter soldier and guardians galaxy but you know what as soon as fucking force awakens and rogue one came out star wars became priority number one for me immediately again and yeah and and so i'm i'm right there with you and i'm only getting back into comics to read the mostly very good star wars comics my friend I, I and i am not a comics guy these days i can barely read marvel i mostly read image comics because they're like adult and bloody and serious and philosophical but like mostly i don't read comics so star wars comics are pretty good but yeah dude I, i'm like you marvel is just like a, a an appetizer or an in-between course in between like star wars stuff which is funny because that's not how it played out in the box office last may right but like oh yeah yeah but that's for me that was the main course like i'm gonna see infinity war maybe twice in the theater i'll probably see black panther twice i'll see deadpool once and i'll see solo you know five times or so you know and then buy disney that comes out watch it over again i agree with you about the high stakes but i i think you know rogue one was by far the superior movie for all the movie reasons not just that it had super high stakes it, it didn't hurt that it was the death star plans but oh the, yeah but what made rogue one great that i've always argued is 95 percent not vader and not the death star plans as cool as those two aspects are are to the movie it was getting brand new characters even though it was the same time period right and we knew the overall like okay they're getting death star plans it was the whole rogue one extended crew and their backstories and the new characters and i think that for me is actually what brought solo down was just the built-in structure of it's going to be lando it's going to be chewy it's going to be han and they actually nailed it beyond what i thought they could but for me it was characters like kira amelia clark who fucking killed it in solo and is not getting enough credit in my personal opinion um i love amelia clark as an actress i think she's amazing and I thought she, it, with each watching of that movie, for me, she's what makes that movie truly interesting for me. Everyone else putting in great performances, but she ties it all together with the characters, the performance, and you know, even Paul Bettany's villain character who scared the shit out of me. Like it, <laughs> it was the nuke. And let's be honest, Emphis Nest. Like how ironic is it? In the most like the part that a lot of people love the most or up at the top was the rebel part, right? Like there's this whole movie about Hansel being a scoundrel, not a scoundrel, trying to be a scoundrel. You know, for love of his life, Corellia, the Kessel Run, Land 
end up, and in the end, what made me cry and tear up was the was the rebellion stuff with you know with Emphis Nest and Two Tubes and and the Marauders and stuff, right? I mean, that's the thing. It's like we can say we want other things, but in the end, we want Jedi in Rebel vs. Empire. I, I I think is is the lesson here. Yeah. I, well. I don't know. I will say I the thing that I liked about Enfys Nest was just sort of the um the surprise element of that character, mm-hmm. right? Like it's this scary looking pirate marauder yeah. uh person with really cool looking armor and a really cool looking gang of pirates on swoop bikes and all that and then you find out at the end that they're actually um sort of one of the early rebel cells mm-hmm. not even working for the rebel alliance because they haven't even really come together at this point i just thought that was a cool different take on i'm a ginger you know, too so i appreciate that as well <laughs> oh well yeah you get that too um <laughs> I just have to say, I mean, my favorite part of that movie, hands down, oh. is the Darth Maul scene at the end. Uh, um, all right, let's, let's do this. Great transition. Great, because I want to talk Mandalorian with you, because I got theories, and that'll be the last main section. Let's talk, dude, so, so, you're right, so I recorded with Simi a week before the movie came out, and then like three days when we had both seen it after it came out. A week before, I, I restated that I thought the Siege of Mandalore was imminent. This was before Solo came out. I knew nothing about Darth Maul. I, re- I was like, I have a feeling of Siege of Mandalore, but but still the Darth Maul reveal floored me and actually it floored me so much that it took me like three or four days to put together that I had made a really good prediction because I was so floored by the performance and just the appearance. And I was like, Oh my God, this like, I, I can't be right about this. <laughs> this is one of my crazy theories. Right. But you, but you have been thinking about this too. So go ahead about the whole Darth Maul experience and wh- what it meant seeing it. And then what it means for the future, all that, whatever you want. Yeah. Well, Oh man, it was, I will say this, it was probably, well, no, it was definitely the biggest surprise for me of all the new movies. I mean, obviously being on my own podcast with Tim and Paul, we talk about so many rumors and theories and all this kind of stuff. We try to, to some extent, stay away from spoilers, but for example, like with The Force Awakens, we all knew Han was going to die. Um rogue one you know if you think if there's any sort of big twist at the end of that movie it would maybe be like the vader scene but we knew that vader was going to be in the movie we just didn't know he was going to be that freaking cool yes but it was the execution of vader that was the key right yeah yeah and that was the surprise but it wasn't like it, it i mean it blew me away for sure it just didn't like shock me like i didn't do you, i mean would you agree with me that of the four directors and ron howard it's not really fair both because he came on so late had to do so much to change directions but he's also a lucas buddy and you know goes way back but the other three directors to me gareth edwards is so clearly the biggest star wars fanboy and understands star wars better than jj abrams and ryan johnson based on his directorial vision of of rogue one to me i mean oh yeah every second of that movie just just oozes star warsness and yet if you look for specific like fanboy references like they're very sparing with it which is why by the way rogue one is loved by hardcore fans but also the mainstream audience like i i'm a a teacher and a tutor so like high school age kids who i work with who like star wars like across the board like a lot of them love last jedi but if it's not last jedi then it's definitely rogue one like my parents who i who have seen every star wars movie in the theater since 1977 it's definitely rogue one of the new movies you know what i mean like really because it really spoke to people who are familiar with the original movies without kind of i guess 
kind of pandering to them too much, which maybe I guess you could has been a criticism of me and others of, of solo is too much fan service, too much pandering or whatever. Go ahead. Well, I don't think Solo has too much pandering and fan service. I think the last jet, or uh, sorry, not the last jet. I think the Force Awakens has that in spades. And I think what Rogue One did well, and this is kind of just a product of the the story and the timeline that it's set in. But you know, with um, with the Force Awakens, obviously they're trying to evoke a lot of nostalgia and bring everybody back to sort of the the original trilogy of star Wars and that classic feel. And so they bring back Mm -hmm. X-Wings and TIE fighters and stormtroopers. And to me, someone who is, you know, a fan of all star Wars and not just the original trilogy, and especially a huge fan of the prequels, I look at the difference between, you know, you look at like an arc 170 and then 20 years later, it evolves into an X-Wing. I'm literally looking at it right now. I have a model in front of my computer next to my Ahsoka and Sabine and Jyn Erso and Castian things. <laughs> yeah, and, and then you go it's so beautiful. years. Yeah. Right? Well, first of all, I freaking love that oh, shit. So and beautiful. don't get me started on Battlefront 2 and the space battles. <laughs> like, just, uh, oh, yeah. um, yes. I may get you started on it. Just be warned. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, but, you know, You're like, you don't pull like, my leg. Man. Yeah. <laughs> You look at the the Arc 170, which is you know clearly a predecessor to an X wing. Twenty years later, you see you know an X wing. They're clearly like related, made by the same company, but different ships, right? Showing like a technological progression in the universe. Then you go thirty. Then you the fact that Rogue One, which was set in the original trilogy, had more new ship designs than the movie set thirty years after the original movies is a preach it, my brother. Big like, problem. <laughs> That's exactly the point that the I'm getting. The Ewing is better than anything we've seen from the new movies. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Well, and here's the thing. And the, the, the striker. The, what I was going to circle Sorry. back around to I'm getting excited. is, you know, I mean, The Force Awakens, I think, relied too heavily on that nostalgia when it should have, yeah. like, it's set 30 years after Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Go out there a little bit. Try some new stuff. Like, anchor it in those Star Wars roots, but you don't have to give us the same recycled stuff over again. Yeah. But then you go to Rogue One, which can totally get away with giving us the same exact recycled stuff over again. You can give us just original trilogy era X-Wings and Y-Wings and TIE Fighters and Stormtroopers. But we never saw Y-Wings bomb like that, right? Like, we saw Y-Wings actually acting like bombers. Like, even the ships we had seen were acting new ways, which was so fucking cool. Right, and I'm just saying they didn't even have to do that. Like, it could have just been just, you know, regular, like I said, just regular X-Wings and TIE Fighters and Stormtroopers, and I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have complained about, oh, it feels too much like the original trilogy, because it takes place like a day before A New Hope, so it's supposed to feel like that, and yet the fact that they still went and brought in, you know, the U-Wings and the TIE Strikers and the Death Troopers and stuff that feels like it perfectly... Which we love, and you guys love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. you're hitting on all those reasons I why just, I just freaking okay. love Rogue One. So, Paul, Paul came on my podcast a few weeks before Solo, and I know Paul loves Solo, but Paul came on and gave me one of the best sound bites ever. I don't normally put sound bites in front of the podcast, but sometimes I do. And he was just like, I don't know how anyone can look at the three, at the time, three new movies and not think that Rogue One isn't the best. Like, it's a no-brainer. It's clearly the best. And that's how I felt. Now, again, I'm putting Solo aside because that happened before Solo. And I understand the nostalgia of Solo and kind of the different approach. Like, people like, like, that's cool. But to me, Rogue One is, like, 
it, I, actually it was on my podcast with Tim man it was epic like I've been building towards this for like two years of saying Rogue One's actually my favorite Star Wars movie it's been climbing up and up and up and I still think if you combine Empire and Jedi Return of the Jedi into one that's probably the best but single film but for me the thing is less that Rogue One's the best Star Wars movie but of all these Star Wars movies Rogue One for me is my favorite and I consider the best it, not the best Star Wars movie if that makes sense um, I just love the way it was directed and how dark it was and yet still relatable and had the message of hope you know what i mean like it it just hit on all cylinders for me um and but, but we yeah but we got the nerd stuff we got the new ship designs but it filled in the old ship designs and we got vader but like it was like he was used cool i don't know like it just seemed to be like uh, like under under lockdown i wonder if by the way man really quickly question as a movie fan does rogue one prove that we should separate the writing and directing job because I, i'm a big proponent of separating the writing and directing job and for for me, Rogue One, it proves that that point. Well, just that people shouldn't write and direct? Well, especially in something as big as Star Wars. If you look at, you know, Ron Howard with the Kasdans or, you know, uh, uh, Gareth Edwards was his three or four writers, you know, uh, compared to J.J. writing his own movie. I guess, you know, I mean, Kasdan was involved with Force Awakens, and that's part of why Force Awakens is, is still high in my book. Um, and obviously, Ryan Johnson being, in my opinion, somewhat overwhelmed by the, the double duty um, of, of, you know, keeping them somewhat separate. Because, like I said, because there was no hard feeling about with Gareth Edwards when they brought in new writers because Gareth's like, all right, I'm directing the shit out of this. Like, bring in whoever you want. You know what I mean? Like, um, does that make sense? Like, maybe... And that's why, and, and, and this will be maybe a good transition to talk about bringing the Mandalorian if you want, which is John Favreau isn't directing, writing, producing, doing all of it, right? He's he's producing and writing, but not. Directing. He's right, yeah, writing and executive producing. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know because I do think there are some really good writer directors, yeah. um, and I don't even see yeah. my issues with the Last Jedi. I don't feel like Ryan Johnson did a bad job necessarily like it doesn't feel like he got the last jedi kyle (laughs) it it doesn't feel like he got overwhelmed Uh, and you know couldn't handle the duty of it i think he executed his vision very well i just think it's a vision that myself and a lot of other fans disagree with like and just you know didn't necessarily like the direction that he went with certain characters but it's i don't think he did a bad job of it and you know recently i've been thinking about this i think if the last jedi if you just change the names of the characters and put it in a different setting and you know basically make the same movie telling the exact same story but like outside of the star wars universe if that makes sense like if the last jedi wasn't a star wars movie i think it would actually be a really good movie because i think so much of the negative reaction and you know say what you want about canto bite and all that kind of stuff um but I think a lot of people's, you know, main issues with it stem from sort of the movie's treatment of Luke Skywalker. Yeah, that I don't agree with. Everything with Luke Ray and Kylo, I love. My, all my problems is with everything else other than Luke Ray and Kylo, personally. Yeah, and it depends on who you talk to. But yeah. I mean, still, there's so sure. many people that think that he just, you know, did a total disservice to to the character of Luke. And I myself am kind of on the fence about that because again, I think Luke's scenes are brilliant. I think it's really well written. I think Mark Hamill just knocks the performance out of the park, but it's just not the direction that I wanted to see Luke go. And especially the fact that he, you know, 
dies off at the end i was i kind of had to do some soul searching and be like Mm -hmm. you know i know i always try to be positive and like love you know new star wars but like am i okay with this i don't know like i'm not really loving the fact that he just killed off luke skywalker so interesting so you thoroughly dislike the last jedi even beyond me but and yet you still have it above solo it is very interesting oh no no, no and again i would not say i thoroughly dislike it no 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 i'm sorry um, I, I dislike was the wrong word you you, you if you divide the movie into the three major parts of Canto Bite, the Poe, Leia, Holdo, and then the Rey, Luke, and Kylo, you have problems with all three parts. I only have problems with the other two parts. I love Luke, Rey, Kylo stuff. It's the other two parts well, I really don't like personally, especially I'm a Leia guy. Like Leia's my favorite character from growing up. And, and the fact that Holdo had three times more screen time than Princess Leia is bullshit. And every minute that Carrie Fisher is on screen awake, she's spectacular. And Johnson recognized it, but I don't know why it took like an entire Force Awakens and part of a Last Jedi movie to realize how brilliant Carrie Fisher was, and then she died, and we don't have her anymore more it makes me really really mad and honestly i mean i'm mad in general about that whole situation and what happened to her i I mean just i'm I'm sad and mad you know normal human reactions for for Mm -hmm. someone that that's important to you from your entire life basically you know i always say between my mom and princess leia i never grew up not thinking women couldn't be as good as dudes in anything honestly it was literally my mom who i still worship and love and princess leia who i still worship and love as my female role models you know and so I have no sympathy for the people who hate on Kelly and Marie Tran and characters like that because they're women or whatever. Um, and it, it, I, I, but, but, but you have to admit that, that it, it, if they could go back and rewrite it, they wouldn't have Laura Dern have so much screen time and Leia be in a coma most of the time. Right. I mean, Oh, well, obviously now, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, And if they knew that that was going to be the last movie, yeah, you know, um, I mean, it's unfortunate because, I mean, I don't, again, I don't know what was in Ryan Johnson's mind, but he obviously, you know, wanted to bring in Holdo and tell that part of the story. Um, but yeah, everything that we've heard was like basically mm-hmm. uh, The Force Awakens was supposed to be Han's movie, The Last Jedi was supposed to be Luke's movie, and then Episode Nine, Leia would have really gotten to step into the spotlight. And yeah, I'm sure if they could go back and do that now, they probably would have given her a bigger role in uh, in The Last Jedi. Maybe not had her have her spend half the movie unconscious. But um, so do you have do you have um, okay let's let's do lists and then we'll talk about news as the final section. Does that sound okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've ranked the four new movies. You've got Rogue One, Force Awakens, Last Jedi, Solo. I have basically that list, although I Force Awakens, uh, uh, Last Jedi at the bottom. For me, it's actually more a lack of negatives in Solo rather than an ex- excess of positives, I think. And so for me, Force Awakens and, and Rogue One are clearly at the top. I mean, for me, Rogue One is clearly the top. And then the clear second is Force Awakens. And then I'm... It's a little dicey after that for me personally. Well, yeah, and I'm the same way because again, like I feel I kind of feel bad putting Solo at the bottom because I say that and people are like, you know, especially Paul who loves that movie is so quick to jump down my throat and be like, "Oh, you're such a hater. I can't believe you don't like it." Right. It's not that I don't like it. It's just I feel Which, like it again, has- it's funny because two weeks before the movie came out, Paul came on my podcast and said Rogue One is clearly the best new Star Wars movie by far. And then like three days after Solo came out, he's like, I'm wavering. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he might be in the Solo camp now. But I mean, to me, it's just it's it's more just sort of low key. Like I enjoy it for what it is. He'll come back. But He'll come back to the light side it, of the force. It, yeah. it is definitely it's just sort of the least. Um, it's the word I'm looking for. 
almost like the least influential or like the least uh, essential to the overall story. You know, like even with Rogue One, like we all knew how it was going to end, but still it's like they're going after the freaking Death Star plans. And this is sort of almost like the other half of the story to um, A New Hope. And it's like a story that didn't necessarily need to be told, Mm -hmm. but I felt like was told really well and, you know, just added that much more to sort of the struggles of the rebellion versus the empire and gave us a really great space battle, a really great Vader moment. Um, and then, you know, of course all the, the great new characters that rogue one introduced us to. Yeah. I mean, it didn't um, hurt that they had like Academy award level actors on every level of that film. I thought that was yeah, extremely you know important. What? And I, and I know you said you're at a point now where Rogue One is your favorite Star yeah. Wars movie ever. I it wouldn't is. go that far. It's definitely... No, I know. No one would. I'm, I'm crazy. But, I'm insane. Yeah. Well, no, but I will agree. I think Rogue One has the best performances of any Star Wars movie. Yeah. It's the, it's, 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 it's the movie, if I was not a Star Wars fan, but I had all my same film sensibilities, I would love the most. So, yeah. y- you know what I mean? But again, mm-hmm. I could literally watch Empire and Jedi, Return of the Jedi over and over again until the cows come home. So, it's, oh, it's yeah. all very close. But, but I have to say, man, you know, I know Solo talked about VCX 100s and had Darth Maul, but Rogue One was the movie that started tying together the prequels and the cartoons even before that when people were critical of J.J. Abrams for, you know, eschewing anything that wasn't the original trilogy or whatever, copying the original trilogy children trilogy so hard and rogue one integrated stuff from you know little things from i mean not li- but also not little things like saw Gerrera, you know like let's be saw honest Gerrera. saw Gerrera is so much cooler as force whitaker than it was beforehand but we know that lucas had major plans for saw Gerrera long before mm-hmm. he sold to disney do you know how thrilled there is a reason why until solo the only movie that lucas came publicly out in support of that he loved was rogue one he fucking yeah. loved rogue one he gave Gareth Edwards, whatever he wanted, he, he was so thrilled with, with, with how reverential treatment it was. But other than like JJ, who, who wanted to treat reverence like copying, Gareth had his own vision, but then worked in Sagrera in a way that no one thought possible, right? And so I, I think that that started the trend that we are now on here, where we are bringing back to tie it all back, back to the beginning, lead to the final section of the new properties. The, the fact that there's so much more love for the prequels and Clone Wars than people either realize or were willing to accept rogue one started the trend solo continued it right and then the new announcements are continuing even further go ahead my man yeah well i will say rogue one to be fair did also go a little overboard on the connections in my opinion like when they bump into dr evazon on uh jetta that was like completely unnecessary in my opinion but it's not calling. It's not being like, well, I got to give you last name Solo. Well, I'm, I'm not going to call you Chewbacca. It's it's way more subtle than I I felt the the fan service, but it's all a matter of perspective, like the level of fan service, you know, between the yeah, Solo yeah, yeah. and Rogue One. Yeah. But and I mean that was really the only thing I had a problem with. I think I'm just so hypnotized on every level by Jin and Cassian whenever on the screen that I just kind of smile at that part. I'm like, okay, let's get to the part where Casey two throws the grenade over his shoulder. You know what I mean? Like, oh gosh, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I mean, I know you're talking about how much you love Jin and Cassian. I think I always go back and forth between Cassian and K two as far as who's my favorite character in that. That's well, that's, that's the threesome for me. Like, if if it's Luke yeah. Han and Leia in the original trilogy, it's Cassian, K two, and Jin. It just. It, I mean, the other three guys are amazing too, but Cassie and Kid 2 and Jen are just, I could watch forever. 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, K2 is freaking hilarious. But just going back to talking about just sort of the Easter eggs and like the, the, not Easter eggs necessarily, but the connective tissue and tying the universe together. There's two scenes in that movie with Darth Vader. One of them, he makes a pun while force choking somebody. (laughs) And the other one, he's a lot more agile with his lightsaber and his force powers than we ever really saw Vader in the original trilogy. But to an extent that you still believe it's Vader, but it's just like a little bit cooler stuff than we ever saw Vader do. And those two two scenes together for me, it's like I can see prequel Anakin in the Vader suit. And I think that was so brilliantly done. Like just sort of connecting episode three Vader and episode four Vader in rogue one. I love it. Yes. Tim and I, you know, Tim and I did the, the twilight of the apprentice commentary, which was super fun. And my theory was he like rogue one was sort of him, getting up from bed after a couple of years of Ahsoka beating the shit out of him and <laughs> exercising his demon, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, that's why he's so murderous and so agile as he's been injured since Ahsoka <laughs> until that moment. He's just like, I want to kill some fucking rebels. But also I postulate that be- because of how badly, you know, mortally almost Obi-Wan wounded him, that he needs to use force powers as big and strong as he is. He can't just get away with straight lightsaber fighting, right? Because... I mean, that's just a theory because of how injured he was initially. Well, yeah, I mean, especially going one-on-one with an opponent. I mean, I think he could have taken all those rebels out with just his lightsaber. And I think, um, you know, the guy that he flings up to the ceiling and holds him there (laughs) while he's blocking everybody else and just casually cuts him in half. I mean, he's doing that just for show and for intimidation. But, yeah, yeah, I think definitely, I mean, he obviously, once he's put in that suit, is not as – uh you know not as quick and agile and um as skilled of a fighter as he once was you know physically so he's gonna have to rely a lot more on just sort of his size and intimidation and his force powers for that i know but it's just so glorious in the aesthetics as as kevin smith put it i think he said something like i would sell my mom into slavery just to see that one more time or something like that you know it's like we grow up because because when you grow up you realize Vader doesn't do that much in the original trilogy right it's all it's all I mean he does a ton obviously but you know well like you said yeah it's the bridge between the Anakin that we know and the original Darth Vader that we that we know for sure um so um all right so really quickly so prequels so you grew up uh on the prequels um what is your uh, uh favorite of the prequel movies and has it changed over time or has it always been the same Oh, no, it's always been Revenge of the Sith. Okay, okay, okay. I think we're on the same page about that. Um, what, what's your feeling on Attack of the Clones? I, 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 I hesitate to broach the subject with Tim because I don't, I, I, you know, I, he's, he's such a nice guy. Um, I, I think Attack of the Clones for me is like the only like borderline unwatchable, uh, rewatchable Star Wars movie. I, and it's not coming out of a place of hate. I honestly, Phantom Menace doesn't bother me that much over time. I definitely have Revenge of the Sith at the top. What is your feeling about Attack of the Clones and, and the sort of very, very split reaction, I think, among some fans about it yeah i like it um so attack of the clones and phantom menace are always flip-flopping for bottom position on my list um overall over the entire movies yeah yeah i i think i as of right now i would still probably uh, i mean i i would probably put them below solo just because of 
the issues that I have with those movies. And again, similar to like The Last Jedi, I mean, I think there's still a lot to love in those movies. I love the Padres. I love the uh, the Darth Maul duel. Um, I love the Battle of Geonosis and the stuff with you know Obi Wan and Jango Fett and the seismic charges and the asteroid field and all that great stuff. Um, but I, you know, with the prequels, I think the the just sort of the writing and the performances are a lot more sort of noticeable um, as being kind of things that jump out at you as you know things that could be better. Um, and then specifically with episode two, it's funny because you hear people criticize like the overuse of CGI a lot and it never really bothered me until I watched the movies on Blu-ray for the first time. Mm. You know, when I got the Blu-ray box it a few years ago and watched episode two for the first time on Blu-ray and went, holy crap. Yeah. That's some bad green screen. Like yeah. you can see the edges of their robes, like disappearing mm-hmm. and reappearing as they're walking down hallways in the Jedi temple and stuff like that. And Dexter Jester just looks like a forearm turd. Um, I mean, episode three doesn't look amazing either in the CGI department, but they definitely was a big step up from episode. Two. Oh yeah. I, I think episode three looks a lot better. A lot. Oh yes. Um, way better. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really have any issues with that one. I mean, you could still argue that, you know, maybe they overuse some things whatever and obviously you know by today's standards i mean certain things like you know avatar or even you know you look at like thanos and infinity war stuff like that or uh you know the technologies come a long way but i think episode three still holds up like i i don't necessarily have any criticisms of the cgi in that movie but oh no i think the prequels actually age better over time seeing how uh, not as much progressed i think cgi has come as i thought maybe it would have come by now and even Black Panther in the Captain America movies, you see CGI problems. It wasn't until Infinity War that Marvel nailed it from beginning to end. I, pretty much every <laughs> Star Wars movie nails modern Star Wars movies nail it. I, you know, I don't know why Star Wars movies, which have generated less money recently than the Marvel movies, seem to be nailing special effects better. Maybe it's just the the nature of it in the long history Lucasfilm has doing this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think it actually ages better over time. My, my problems with, epi- with episode two are completely having to do with the incredible lack of chemistry or connection between Anakin and, and Padme. It has, it has nothing to do with the actors. I just I think the writing and direction just never came together. I think it gets way better in episode three, but then they did disempower the Padme character and she gets very little to do of substance in episode three and that's that's to me the biggest waste opportunity it doesn't mean you have Natalie Portman who's won you know a fucking Oscar and been nominated for multiple since then you know and I, I think an actually very charismatic guy in Hayden Christensen uh, I, I'm an actor director guy and to me that I could care less about the the green I mean the green stuff sloppiness sucks but it's it's that's not to me ultimately my problem I, I think there was a, it seems like there was more practical effects in episode one than the other two prequels i'm not sure why that's the case oh yeah definitely well episode two was the first movie to ever be shot completely on digital digital yeah um and so episode one was the last one that they shot on film and obviously you know just the technology hadn't progressed to the level yet where they could do all that cgi and all that green screen and stuff obviously there's still some of it but um yeah it definitely is more um, more practical effects heavy. So what's your top, what's your top three overall? And then I want to talk Mandalorian, uh, slash Clone Wars and then we'll wrap up. What's your top three overall of the movies? Top three overall, Mm -hmm. uh, return of the Jedi empire strikes back revenge of the Sith. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. And it's funny because I, you know, we talk about issues with episode two. Um, I have my issues with episode three. Also, like I wish revenge of the Sith was my favorite star Wars movie. 
Um, I think a lot of people do. Yeah. I think on paper, it's like my favorite story. And I think if Mm -hmm. that movie had been executed better, like Anakin Skywalker should go down as one of the greatest, like tragic hero figures in all of cinema, in my opinion, if those movies had been executed as well as they could have been. And if those story concepts had been, realized on screen as well as you know they were in george lucas's head can i be brutally um, honest if george lucas wrote that anakin the way filoni and company wrote their anakin that would have happened because matt yeah. lanter's anakin is you're rooting for him so hard not to turn to the dark side and his but uh, but by the way it does align pretty well with the first half of revenge of the sith in terms of his feelings towards the jedi council post ahsoka i thought that you know the ahsoka thing really 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 informs episode three even way more than episode two for me personally i mean episode three was still uh, the was already the best but you add the ahsoka thing and how angry anakin was about that whole situation and then you add everything else right and, and it even explains mm-hmm more to me it's they, they asked the he asked uh, lucas or whoever asked the impossible of not whoever it's only lucas asked the impossible of hayden to flip like that it, it, he didn't sell it he had two and a half movies to sell anakin flipping and, and in the end it was just pathetic uh in sort of the old school pathos sense you know what i mean it was just it was sad but i didn't really yeah i don't know well here's here's my here's my take on it though with anakin's turn to the dark side because i hear a lot of people criticize that and say oh it's too sudden and it's not uh you know it's not a gradual enough and you don't see enough build up to it which i think is nonsense because you don't you don't you know do one too many bad things and then wake up one day That's and true. oh you've gradually crossed over the dark side like it's a choice and we do see some of that build up with his distrust of the jedi council obviously the lingering hurt of you know his mother dying and you know just pain and anger from certain things that have happened to him and obviously like you said the clone wars i think does a fantastic job of adding a lot more layers to that um with ahsoka with his relationship with padme with you know his continued just sort of strained relationship with the jedi council um but even just within episode three i mean you see you see his his issues with the council the way they don't trust him you see the way that obviously palpatine is manipulating him and got him you know twisted around his little finger and at the crux of it all you have his romance with padme and his fear of her dying and it's not about you know anakin gradually falling and like oh now you know he's crossed over the line and he's become evil like he makes that choice between following the jedi code or saving padme and obviously palpatine is nudging that along but like when he turns to the dark side he's not like nah screw the jedi i want to go kill some kids now it's like no he's desperate for whatever palpatine can do to give him that power to save padme's life that he doesn't think the jedi are going to give him yeah it's it's a tough it's a tough discussion it really is because in some ways the clone wars series bridges great into three in some ways it feels like a very different character but it's not just him padme feels different i mean yoda feels i mean it's i don't know man i've referred to clone wars as a corrective to some of the things in the prequels it's not just a knock on the prequels but they get some subtleties of character in Clone Wars that we don't get from those characters in the prequels. And look, art is always in motion like the Force, right? I mean, it, it, I'm cool with this. Like, it's like changing directors or changing writers, everything we're talking about. Like, you just, you adapt and you, and you change and you try and improve. And, and I love Lucas for doing that. It's his last act of Lucasfilm being Clone Wars is beautiful, right? And now that we're getting mm-hmm. b- get back, it's a brilliant thing. And, 
you know, I, I think what holds it all together, though, is the lore, right? The fact that we've got, like, Star Wars lore, and, and it, even if we hated, like, a specific performance of a character or, or an entire movie, but there's so much great, like, lore and planets and Jedi stuff we can, we can sink our teeth into, and that's been amazing over the years. No matter who's been in charge, no matter who's been writing, right, has been the lore. And something that I, I, we won't have too much time today to talk about, though, is the Old Republic stuff and Knights of the Old Republic and the video games and the, and the comic books in the ni- 90s and early 2000s and so forth that I know you were into and I was into, and they have been super... This might be a great way to talk about Clone Wars, um, which is they've clearly, Kyle, been working in Old Republic and KOTOR stuff to all levels of Star Wars. I mean, official canon, right? And, like, are you excited about the fact that they're bringing in things like like Malachor and the Mandalorian Wars into canon? Do you see this expanding in the future? Like, what you're feeling as, as a fan of this stuff from back in the day, you know, like what we used to call the EU being brought into um, into the Clone Wars and other properties? Well, I mean, first of all, as a huge fan of that stuff, I am... I always kind of try to check myself a little bit like that is sort of my ultimate fanboy dream is that we'd either get like a movie or a Netflix series, or, you know, not, I keep saying Netflix series, but you know, a no, series know. on the streaming service mm-hmm. or something like that of, uh, you know, something set in the old Republic. I would absolutely love that. And anytime they sprinkle something in, I have to, you know, stop myself from like making bold predictions like, Oh, you know, Revan, a star Wars story coming 2020. Um, I try to pump the brakes a little bit, but yes, the guys from game of Thrones working <laughs> yeah. on a star Wars movie, yeah, so like yeah. having a, a full on, you know, ancient Jedi versus Sith war yeah. or Jedi versus Mandalorians or whatever, um, is just, uh, it's, it's too perfect. So again, like I'm trying not to be too bold on my predictions or whatever. I'll just, you know, sort of wait and see how this all plays out. But that's my hope is that those guys are doing something set in the old Republic. I mean, look, Malachor, Malachor, which is officially Malachor 5, I believe. Malachor? In, in KOTOR 2, it's Malachor 5. In okay. Twilight, in Twilight of the Apprentice, it's just Malachor. No, I understand, but I'm saying um, originally it's Malachor 5. Yeah. And then you bring in the Mandalorian Wars. Those are two of the biggest lore aspects of the EU that they've already brought in to various degrees. Yeah. And even in like the Tarkin book, they talk about this. I mean... They're definitely working it in. And as an aspiring writer myself, I would love to know more information, but I also love how little information they're giving out because it's allowing creativity among other writers on all levels. Um, yeah, I stuff. love that they're just sprinkling it in and giving us hints, but eventually I'm like, man, I want them to just blow the lid off of yeah. it. And like, and here's the thing. I'm, I'm definitely trying to stay open-minded too, as a fan of those original like EU stories, because I get the feeling like if they were to go back and tell a story about Darth Revan mm-hmm. or something like that, it's going to be different. It's going to be their own take on it. They've already done that with Malachor. Um, mm-hmm. Because actually in the Knights of the Old Republic canon, Malachor five was the final battle of the Mandalorian wars where Revan, the Jedi defeated the Mandalorian with the super weapon that reactivates during the title of the apprentice episode. Well, it's different though, because in, in twilight of the apprentice, Malachor is the ancient, you know, it's like an ancient battleground between Jedi and Sith. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and there were no Sith in the Mandalorian Wars. It was just the Jedi versus the Mandalorians who were invading the Republic. Um, and that's where Revan defeated the Mandalorians with this, you know, giant weapon. And it was even different. It was this thing called like the mass shadow generator. The mass shadow generator. Yeah. I like something yeah, like that. It created yeah. like a huge, it created like a huge gravitational field. There was like a massive uh. space battle going on above the planet uh. and it just dragged all the ships down and crashed them sure. on the surface and basically wiped out the whole Mandalorian fleet. Um, and meanwhile, while that was all going on, Revan was dueling with, you know, the Mandalorian leader and he struck him down and killed him. Um, so there were, you know, there were no Sith involved and, you know, it definitely, the ancient weapon wasn't like some Sith temple. Although to be fair, Kanan might not know of that of which he speaks as well. true but i mean you definitely see that battleground in twilight of the apprentice is just littered with you know lightsaber users that have somehow been petrified or turned to stone or something like that but again i think because also in so you don't see malachor in lights of the old republic too and it definitely has a similar feel to what you see in twilight of the apprentice where there's like a sith temple and it's got that very sort of dark like red and black Mm -hmm. um aesthetic to it um and so that i mean that to me it felt like you know again they're changing it they're putting their own spin on it but it's very much inspired by those original stories Mm -hmm. and i am all for that Mm -hmm. um you know as long as they don't make darth revan like a dungan bounty hunter or something like that like if they keep you know just sort of the core of those stories of the jedi versus the mandalorians and have revan (sighs) you know the jedi hero turned conqueror or whatever um as long as people like filoni and hidalgo and jonathan kasdan are involved i feel like we're gonna get great interpretations because they are only slightly older than us and grew up nerding over this shit too right i mean gareth edwards as well like that was sort of the thing i was trying to say earlier about gareth edwards was like him being slightly younger and towards my generation it's clear he grew up reading like the thrawn novels and stuff i don't think jj abrams and and, uh, ryan johnson grew up reading that i could be wrong i could be wrong but i look at rogue one i look at jonathan kasdan's contributions to to solo and i see people who grew up reading the same shit i did you know i'm in my late 30s at this point i'm not so far off of their of their ages even i mean how old is filoni he must be what mid 40s at this point yeah i think um oh this is a great transition because i I, want to get you out of here i don't want to keep you too long so you can you can watch your red Sox, which is i want to hear predictions because i've got tons of them i won't hit you with too many i want to hear predictions for the clone wars mandalorian episode nine what you got give me some some crazy theories or predictions i'll give you mine oh gosh um Uh, let me go first i'll go first well, well, throw no, go, one at me. What, what, no, you, what in particular? Okay, okay. Uh, which voice actors are likely to reprise themselves in person in the Mandalorian live action Star Wars series produced by John? Oh, yeah. you know it's funny. I heard you talking with with uh, Tim about this <laughs> on your last episode, and I I'm right there with you. I think Katie Sackhoff yeah. as Bogatan is uh, is a shoe in. Yeah. As far as the rest of them. I mean, I think that's that's probably about it as far as what I'm expecting. Um, oh, so you know my episode nine theory, so that's not going to be... I can't drop that on you because you've heard my episode nine theory. I don't think I have, actually. I didn't listen to that whole episode, so what's uh, what's your episode nine theory? Oh, no, we'll get there. No, go ahead. Go, go ahead on the Mandalorian about, 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 uh, about Katie first. But, oh, about well, Ten, just... Yeah, yeah I mean... Well, and obviously, you know, the story, at least as they presented it to us so far, is just about, you know, this one, you know, sort of lone Mandalorian gunslinger that's off on his own. Whether that's going to be the case for the first episode or the first season or whatever it is, I 
think, especially knowing that Filoni's involved, like, you know, this is going to get into some bigger, more connected Star Wars stories eventually, and probably some more stuff with Mandalore. Um, and man, I was freaking out about this on our last episode of The Saga Continues. The idea that we could see the Darksaber in live I mean, action. Katie Sackhoff sitting on the Mandalorian throne, impatient with the idiots around her, and the Darksaber on her lap, I feel like is an inevitable thing that we should be all be praying and hoping is, is truly going to happen. Her channeling yeah. a combination of Bo-Katan mixed with Starbuck is like the, the coolest thing I could think of. Her and Favreau are friends. They voice acted together. Their characters are connected. Connected, right from from the Mandalorian the Clone Wars days. I mean, it's so perfect to have Katie Sackhoff with the dark saber on the throne. But maybe, maybe I'm I'm getting caught up in dreams. No, I mean, again, I I don't know that that's like a hundred percent definitely going to happen. Just yeah. again, based on the little information that they've given us so far, because we have no promises that this show is going to go back to Mandalore. But again, 100%. knowing I'm giving a six out of five, yeah, knowing, yeah. <laughs> knowing Dave Filoni and just knowing, you know, the potential for where they could take this show. I mean, that's, that's my prediction is that we're going to get to see that eventually. Yep. Um, and I would just absolutely love that. Um, but yeah, and then, I mean, as far as that show in general, oh, so, you know, going back to kind of talking about KOTOR and the Mandalorian Wars, mm-hmm. I mean, if we're going to go back to Mandalore, I mm-hmm. would love to get um, even just a little bit more of, uh, you know, some more backstory dropped in there. Um, not necessarily like a flashback or anything like showing any of that stuff, because I want that reserved for just a separate story about it um and i don't think we're gonna get that obviously in this show just because of the time period it's set in but yeah just a little bit more of that world building of mandalore and you know just i mean i think the whole history of that mandalorian culture is fascinating um also one thing i wanted to bring up with you have you and this is just a, a personal little theory of mine go um, have you seen the like the cinematic trailers for the the Old Republic MMO? I've seen footage. I don't know if I've seen like the full on cinematic trailer. I mean, I know I know what well what it is. Yeah, I never the played one, it. Especially yeah. the well, yeah. I mean, even if you haven't played the game, I yeah. mean, just the trailers are freaking amazing. Okay. Um, okay. And on a visual level, that the I mean, the, and I I played that game. You know, the the um, Old Republic online MMO. I played that for a lot of years and had a lot of fun with it. Sure. Um, yeah. But it's, I mean, the the visual style of it, it's, I mean, it looks good, but it's definitely not like super realistic. Um, and I think that was kind of intentional that they wanted to make it more stylized and also make it so more people could play it without having to have, you know, the most super updated PC graphics and all that kind of stuff. But the cinematic trailers for that game are on a whole nother level visually um, to the point where it's like almost photorealistic and just, you know, these, these, uh, sort of ancient battles with Jedi and Sith playing out. Um, and and what's so crazy is now with the streaming service, man, sorry, just to follow up that point, we could have Favreau directing what Mandalore is like post-Return of the Jedi, and then we can have the double Ds from Game of Thrones directing what Mandalore was like 3,000 years ago. I mean, you know, and they're sharing notes and information, and, and I mean... I, I did That's not think the they dream, could keep man. canon so much in order, in addition to bringing in all the mov- original movies and the prequels, but also some of the EU stuff and introducing new material and keep this canon all in order is amazing, and, and, and the possibilities are endless. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so anyway, in, yeah. in the first trailer for that game, so you see out. a bunch of Sith Lords attacking the Jedi Temple, but mm-hmm. they have a Mandalorian with them who's helping them kind of infiltrate. Uh, okay. Um, and that Mandalorian's name is Shea Vizla in the 
you know, in sort of the, the EU old Republic canon, I mean, I don't know that she's definitely a canon character, but in my mind, when in rebels, where they show that flashback scene, or it's not really a flashback, but that really cool, like sort of illustrated cave painting, almost kind of sequence mm-hmm. where they're talking about the history of the dark saber, um, and how it belonged to the the first Mandalorian to ever become a Jedi, and then when he died, that t- saber was kept in the Jedi Temple. And then during some war between the Mandalorians and the Jedi, the Mandalorians broke in and stole that lightsaber from the Jedi Temple. So, in my sort of head canon as it stands right now, until <laughs> I'm proven otherwise, I think Shay Vizsla took that lightsaber yeah. from the Jedi Temple when sure. she helped the Sith attack the sure. Jedi Temple. So yeah, why not? Um, yeah, why not? And again, if they want to, if they want to give us a completely different spin on that, but show us that story, I would absolutely love to see that. I mean, we we know again, just to hammer home the point, we know that Katie Sackhoff can can light up the screen of epic science fiction. We've seen it numerous times in different contexts uh, and even genres outside of science fiction. There is zero chance Bo Katan does not show up in that. It's impossible uh, unless they they never go back to Mandalore, and that's the Mandalorian is just throwing us off, and it's going to be just a scum and villainy gunslinger story. In which case, honestly, I would be disappointed if we don't end up back in Mandalore, like. You know what I mean? Like I think, like Game. If you look at Game of Thrones season one, it was in park. It was important that the Starks got to King's Landing pretty early on to get that whole plot in motion. Um, That's very true. Yeah. So, but it just sort of depends on the story that they want to tell here, yes. like sort of how big in yeah. scope are they going? But again, especially the fact that Filoni's involved. Yeah. I mean, they really could be going for just sort of a simplistic, mm-hmm. like Western style. Uh, you know, the man with no name kind of thing. Um, just telling stories about this lone outlaw, you know, gunslinger, bounty hunter, whatever you want to call him, which I would be okay with that too. I mean, I think it would still be cool. It's still going to be star Wars in live action, but at the same time, I think you can only go so far with that. There's only so many stories you can tell before it starts getting kind of repetitive. And the fact that not only Dave, not only is Dave Filoni directing the first episode, but he also is on board as like a producer with this. So he's going to be working with Favreau on this the whole time. And I think giving him some really cool ideas of like where they can take this. And I mean, again, if rebels and Clone Wars have given us, uh, you know, any good indication, it's that, um, you know, Dave is always branching out and trying new things and not just retelling the same stories over and over. I mean, the Clone Wars could have just given us different battles between different armies of clones and droids with a different Jedi leading them on a different planet every week. And I, which on the surface is what it is. If you don't look well, closely you, enough, that is what's going on. But then you, well, that's yeah. more the backdrop. The backdrop exactly. I mean, there's, there's yeah. so many stories yeah. that get, you know, so much more personal and whether it's, you know, politics or espionage or dealing with stuff like Mandalore and Darth Maul and, you know, Mortis and stuff that I never would have imagined seeing when the show aired. I never, I, I can't believe they made Darth Maul work so well i never thought they could I, bring oh, him I back and i can't believe it may work so well uh, but sam Witwer is a fucking genius speaking of battlestar galactica i mean i think they're going to try and get as many battlestar people on as possible sam Witwer, by the way should play live action darth maul because he's fucking i love i love ray park god bless him but sam Witwer is jacked and ripped as shit he's he could so easily do it his voice performance is spectacular i couldn't believe it because dude i i went backwards i saw rogue one and then started watching rebels and then went back and watched clone wars so i'm like all backwards i, I was like they really brought because I, I saw i was like i knew that Darth Maul was coming back i'm like this could never work this would be so corny and stupid and i'm like oh my god this is amazing all the darth maul mandalore stuff is spectacular on uh, in the clone wars um mm-hmm. do you think i mean we know that darth 
Darth Maul is definitely dead and dead, right? By the time the Mandalorian show happens, but they sure teased him pretty hard in, in Solo. I don't know. I guess that was just to set up a siege of Mandalore. So where do you? Ha, okay, so let's 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 do the, the 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 big picture thing here as the final main question, which is like, do you see there being a direct line narratively, character wise, philosophically, anything between the siege of Mandalore and then the stuff we get about Mandalore in the Mandalorian? Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, it's hard to say for sure, but I think that's definitely going to inform, you know, again, assuming that we go to Mandalore and find out more about its history and stuff, I think the Siege of Mandalore is going to play so much into the the backstory of that. And heck, even if they never mention it by name, even if in the show The Mandalorian, if they never actually talk about the Siege of Mandalore, or they never talk about the Clone Wars, or they never talk about Darth Maul, like I, we were talking about this on our show the other day, like um, just the fact that the Mandalorian had kind of gone into production earlier than we had uh, anticipated. And we're thinking like, Oh, well, you know, the rumors are saying that the streaming service is supposed to be coming out sometime late next year. So there's a very real possibility that it could launch with both the clone wars and the Mandalorian available day one, like oh, which one will. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we were talking about which one would you want to watch first in that case? And Paul obviously is a lot more excited about the Mandalorian. And he thought I was crazy for this. I said, I would watch clone wars first one because I've been waiting for it longer. Also because they're yeah. shorter episodes and I'm probably just going to binge watch it anyways. And then I'll probably maybe take my time a little bit more on the Mandalorian and try to, you know, enjoy it mm. for a little bit longer. Mm. Um, I think I'm with you. I mean, I'm with Paul being almost the exact same age as him in terms of like what I'm truly excited about long term is the Mandalorian. In terms of watching first, I think I would watch Siege of Mandalore first and just binge the crap out of it. Yeah. Yeah, and well, because here's the thing too, we're getting 12 episodes of Clone Wars. It's not all going to be Siege of Mandalore. I think we're going to get three different story arcs. We know one of them is going to be the Bad Batch Mm -hmm. from that trailer that we got. Mm -hmm. Um, The other one, I think the safe bet would be the Utapau arc that's already out on StarWars.com, like, you know, in the unfinished animatic form, just like the Bad Batch is. Um, just because that would kind of be the the easiest and the most cost effective option for them, just because it's already finished in some form to just go back and completely, you know, polish it up. Um, but there's a couple other interesting story arcs that we know they had in the works that I'm kind of hoping we maybe get to see. Um, but then obviously the Sie- the Siege of Mandalore is going to be, you know, the series finale. Um, and it's going to show what happened to Ahsoka and Rex during Order 66. It's going to have, you know, Ahsoka facing off against Maul, but also have a lot of awesome stuff happening on Mandalore, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, again, going back to, you know, just talking about the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. even if it's it, like even if the siege of mandalore isn't essential viewing for that necessarily like even if it's not you know picking up right like obviously it's not going to be picking up right where that left off because it's like 25 something years later um but i think just watching like i want to watch the siege of mandalore first because then watching the mandalorian if it does you know reference the history of mandalore or if we go back and see mandalore you're just going to have that that you know that much more knowledge and history in the back of your mind and knowing sort of the history of this place no, and I'm, I'm convinced. You know, all the all the cool stories look, that we have building up to it look up you're talking to a guy who's not crazy about the prequels but the period between episode three and episode four between rogue one the clone wars uh, rebels and now the siege of mandalore and the new vader comics which take place during that time. i am i am so on board <laughs> that time period I, the book the my own novella which i'm fan fiction which i'm writing takes place during that period about ahsoka 
I, I, I'm so in. I, I, I agree with you. I, I never thought I would be more excited about uh, the Siege of Mandalore. If you told me a year ago, I'd be more excited about Siege of Mandalore, Clone Wars Return than the Mandalorian, which I am still very, very, very excited about. But, you know, we, let's be honest. I mean, the, the period between episode six and episode seven so far has either not been particularly fruitful or we just haven't been told the right stories yet. Um, mm-hmm. the stories between three and four are way more interesting, you know? The fact that the movie about stealing the Death Star plans and Vader murdering people is my favorite Star Wars movie. I would not have seen that coming three or four years ago. You know, like I, I would not. So I am I am so on board with that. Which brings me to my big theory, which I guess you didn't get to, which is my big prediction, which I've been saying for months. I want to keep getting on record when, it, if and when it happens, is that Ahsoka is going to be in Episode Nine. And that's why she's not going to be in The Mandalorian. Um, And the reason being that I think, A, J.J. Abrams has learned his lesson (laughs) about fan service. And B, I think that Ahsoka is so beloved and such a central part of the Star Wars fan base, but also mythos at this point. And they've kept her alive against all odds. She's basically immortal. She can travel between the worlds and times. I mean, she's Gandalf, you know. I mean, Filoni's even said it. It, we, we've seen amazing looking Twi'leks since the, the early 80s. It'd be very, you know, very doable from that standpoint. But on top of that, I don't feel like Ahsoka would truly reach legendary status unless we can get the average fan who doesn't watch these other things to witness her. And I think even if you've never seen Ahsoka and you're just the person who sees the Star Wars movies and nothing else, if you saw Ahsoka in the trailers, even Ultra Ahsoka with the white lightsabers and her costume and facial design and everything, like I feel like there are so many... Not just like everybody, but especially like women and younger women and girls, it would just be like, oh my god, like imagination running wild, or maybe little girls who've been watching Forces of Destiny and like that's it, you know, and know Ahsoka through that as well. And I just, I, I, I know this is an insane prediction, and they have so much going on already. I don't think she's going to be a major part. It's possible it's just a Force Ghost. Ray's never had a female mentor whatsoever, other than a couple hugs from Leia here and there. I feel like. The, the the Obi-Wan to to her Luke is is Ahsoka to Rey. And it is a bit of a long shot of a prediction, but I would not be shocked at all if they're hiding the shit out of that and it's gonna be like a you know, like a hour and twenty five minutes in and then Ahsoka's gonna come out from the shadows as I predicted to Tim. Phasma's gonna come back half robotic like Vader trying to assassinate <laughs> Rey and then Ahsoka's gonna come in with the twin lightsabers and just like chop her head off or something like that. It would be how be how I would do it. I know I'm crazy, and, and I usually try not to make totally insane predictions, but I could really see them working. Because if they don't work Ahsoka in Episode Nine, that's, it's not going to happen in the movies, probably. Although we don't really know the future of the movie, so that's my last crazy prediction. So I'll yield the, the, the floor to you for the final section here, sir. Yeah, well, that is definitely one heck of an insane prediction, but it is one that. I would absolutely love to see. Right? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that it makes sense, but I wouldn't care. Like it's one of those things. You know, some people like I've heard a a rare few people 
like criticized the Vader scene in Rogue One saying, oh, it's just fan service. Like bringing Ahsoka in in episode nine, it would be that same. Why are you going to the movies? Like if you don't, if you can't enjoy that, why? Like literally at all, like forget Star Wars. Like if you can't enjoy that, why are you going to the movies, people? Yeah. Like, and here's the thing. Like, you're right. It's fan service. It's not an essential part of the movie. It doesn't drive the story but it is so freaking cool that I don't care. And I think Ahsoka being in episode nine would be the same way. And it would kind of be like them bringing Darth Maul back in Clone Wars. It would be like, does this make sense? I don't know. Did they need to do it? I don't know. But am I glad they did it? Heck yes. Um, but I think so, what works yeah. great about Ahsoka, though, is that it would be fan service. But it would be more like... Um, What's a, what's a good comparison? Like, it, it, it would be the kind of fan service that, yes, fans would go crazy that it was Ahsoka, but even casual movie watchers would love her because she's Ahsoka, and everyone that comes across her, you know, post, like, the first few episodes of the original Clone Wars series loves Ahsoka. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, how could anybody resist? I mean, let's be honest, the younger generation was, like, especially the young girls, but younger generation in general was sustained by the Clone Wars and Ahsoka through this those dark times, right? That's true. And so, like, why not now? Like, my little, my, my niece has the forces of, you know, she loves Star Wars, and she's got a Forces of Destiny shirt, and it's got Ahsoka on it. She knows nothing outside of Ahsoka, uh, about Ahsoka outside of Forces of Destiny, but she knows her name, and she knows what she looks like, and those are about our lightsabers and you know like that's that's enough um and so if that's the kind of answer like that's the kind of service i want like and this is my thing about resistance man i might never watch star wars resistance i don't know if i can tolerate it but the thing is having star wars resistance is making an even darker clone wars siege of mandalore possible for us like we need to be cool with them making shows just for little kids so that they can make other animated shows for the big kids being us oh yeah my personal theory like i was listening to you guys talk about resistance you guys were very fair in your assessment i've only seen a few minutes of it i thought you guys did a great job reviewing it for someone who hasn't seen much of it i i know i will agree with everything you guys are saying when i actually do watch it i'm sure i will eventually just for the lore but you know what i'm saying like i'm actually okay with them separating it even though i'm the biggest rebels fan i think rebels is actually underrated i love star wars rebels but i don't mind having animated stuff for the big kids and animated stuff for the little kids right like isn't that maybe Mm -hmm. an okay uh, uh, solution oh yeah absolutely like you know for the people that are trashing on resistance saying like oh this is dumb this is for kids you know they're ruining star wars whatever like again it's kind of like what i said with um I forget if I was talking about Solo or The Last Jedi, but like it's they're doing a good job of executing what they set out to do. You know, it's not like they're trying to make a really cool show for big kids and failing spectacularly. Like they have a certain goal in mind, a certain target demographic, a certain type of story that they want to tell. And I think they're telling that well. And it might Mm -hmm. not be the kind of thing that resonates particularly well with adult fans, Mm -hmm. but like, that's fine. You know, for those of us that don't like resistance, well, I don't want to, I mean, I don't want to put myself in that camp of people that don't like it because no, you guys were very fair. You guys were more yeah, than I, fair. I enjoyed it. I yeah. didn't absolutely love it. It's definitely yeah. lowest on the totem pole after Clone Wars and Rebels. But but I've been able to recommend that show to peop- to friends of mine who have three and four year old kids. And yeah, Rebels was too violent for their three or four year old. Like my own nephews are almost three, and Rebels is still too violent for them. You know, but like Resistance come this winter when they're re airing it, and my nephews are three and a half years old, like. That might happen, and that possibility makes me so happy. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, it's again, it's for that younger demographic and for the for the older fans that have an issue with that. Like mm-hmm. we've got Clone Wars and the Mandalorian, like, you know, not everything has to be right up your yeah. alley. So, yeah, um, we need to keep reseeding this over and over again to keep bringing the new generations. I think is lost on some people like we won't get what we want if the younger generation doesn't care, you know, so. Yeah just don't want and that's the thing i want to be saturated with star wars to the point where i don't have time or even want to watch all of it like i am happy with that situation i don't need to see everything you know like and i think that's where we're headed with the streaming service right i mean to wrap this all up is there's going to be so much star wars content that we can feel good about not having to watch everything at least not at the time of airing right and just yeah i mean i'm still going to watch all of of course we're still going to because you and i podcasters were hardcore nerds but you know you could you can feel okay about not you know uh like swallowing everything immediately when it comes out yeah well yeah and i mean if you get to the point where there's so much of it you're not going to be able to anyways i mean like i said we might have to decide day one of the streaming service are you going to watch clone wars or are you going to watch the mandalorian Ooh, that'll be like a fun like betting slash drinking game <laughs> you know like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> like where, where do your loyalties lie so yeah, i mean for me i'm i'm firmly in the clone wars camp yeah. but i'm very excited for both of them I, I love Ahsoka. I, I, and the thing is, I came to Ahsoka and Rebels first. I, you know, I don't know if it would have been a different experience if I'd come to her via Clone Wars first, but meeting older Ahsoka and then younger Ahsoka, I was like, how can anybody have a problem with this character? I love this character. Like, yeah. she's hilarious. Well, you know she's amazing. Funny, I mean, I, I definitely understand why people had their issues with her at first, but uh, that's one of the many things that I love so much about Clone Wars is how much you really see her character oh and that's the other reason she'd come in episode nine by the way is she's the anti-rose tico i, I mean I, I still think Kelly tran is going to have a redemption story a, a story in her own life and as her character but in terms of where things stand right now uh, or not the anti-rose tico sorry let me rephrase that ahsoka is the rose tico redemption story that we all hope Kelly Marie tran gets because people hated ashley Eckstein at first and she's very still aware oh I, I see what you mean yeah you know what i'm saying like if it yeah. can happen to Ahsoka, it can happen to anybody, right? And yeah. to go from the most reviled well, character to the most loved different. character is I quite mean, a journey. Yeah, and unfortunately, like, I mean, I don't know because I don't know Ashley Eckstein personally, but I hope she didn't get the same level of just nastiness that it's different being a voice Kelly Marie Tran got. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people had issues with Ahsoka and I have my own issues with Rose. Believe me, like at the end of the movie, when she, you know, crashes into Finn to stop him from saving everybody. And then says, Oh, we're going to win by saving what we love, not destroying what we hate. I'm like, that's what he was just trying to do. You idiot. Like, and I know Luke shows up and makes everything okay, but she had no way of knowing that. And then she kisses him while the door freaking blows up in the background. And yeah, it's like, Oh, like I'm glad you decided to celebrate the moment that your friends all just got screwed over with a kid. Kyle, I thought we could get through a whole podcast without you talking about that scene, but you know what? I should have just embraced it from the beginning. You, you had to, you had to go draw comparisons between Ahsoka and Rose Tico, I know, and I, I was like, I, "No, what? no, Ahsoka." It's my fault. Yeah, I you, ruined you, everything. You can't put them on that level. No, I ruined um, everything. It's all my fault. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but anyway. the, the other difference was, I think again, like just like Kathleen Kennedy, Ryan Johnson, everyone thought everyone would love last year. And do, let us be clear. 
the the many of hardcore Star Wars fans were already crowning the Last Jedi as as good as the Empire Strikes Back before it came out, and I was one of the guys saying, "You guys hold your horses. Not every movie is going to be Force Awakens and Rogue One, and just because you think it's going to be the dark middle movie and it's going to be the best Star Wars movie since Empire Strikes Back, just hold on your horses." And that allowed me, I think, like you, to enjoy it greatly when it first came out, and then our criticism sort of came out over time. But even when my criticisms were coming out, it was like I felt like a sense of disappointment because I'd never loved. Ryan Johnson's films. I love J.J. Abrams' good science fiction films. Like I was like, there's no way his Force Awakens is not at least going to be fun and really well written, and that's exactly what it was in my opinion. I never loved Ryan Johnson's movies, and so I was a little skeptical, and so that's why I actually loved Last Jedi when it first came out, because it was way better than I was expecting in my own head, and then sort of the problems came out over time, right? But don't you agree that people may have had slightly too high expectations for that film? Well, I will admit I was one of them. Like I was totally drinking the Kool-Aid. I hmm. and I I just got caught up in my own theories and anticipations and I was just so excited to you know and I mean t- this was before Paul was a, a full-time co-host on our show but Tim and I had spent so much time just talking about theories and unanswered questions from the Force Awakens and where they could take it in the last Jedi and I was so excited to revisit luke skywalker after all these years and find out what was next for kylo ren and for ray and for you know poe and just see the the you know the escalating conflict between the resistance and the first order and then the trailers came out and had you know just so many kind of jaw-dropping moments i really didn't see how that movie could possibly be bad um and then it came out, and I, <laughs> I, I also will kind of preface this by saying I kind of do that with every Star Wars movie. Sure. Like, I always enjoy them more on the second viewing because on the first viewing I have to sort of – like, it's – not that it's hard to enjoy. Like, I always enjoy them the first time, mm-hmm. but I'm – you know always kind of struggling in my mind between like what the movie actually is versus what i expected it to be Mm -hmm. and it's a lot like i always have a lot of internal dialogue about like you know is this good and does this live up to my expectations and you know so i can kind of just let all that go on the second viewing and it's still new enough that i'm you know still like experiencing a new movie even though i kind of know what happens but um yeah, so, but with The Last Jedi in particular, I just had hyped it up so much. And then, of course, all the reviews came out and people were talking about how great it was. And I was like, you know, I obviously didn't want to like spoil it for myself and I didn't want to get too hyped for it, but I almost just couldn't help it. I was like, I don't see any way that this movie can be bad. And I had just hyped it up in my own mind that this was going to be amazing. Um, and. On first viewing, I mean, I actually did really love it. I did too. I loved it on first two viewings, yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, and I needed that second viewing to kind of process it. But then, of course, all the negative stuff started coming out, and I was defending it. And I, you know, I didn't share a lot of the same criticisms that a lot of other people did. But then over time, I don't know if, like, the negativity sort of seeped into my own mind or if I was sort of just being almost idealistic at first and defending it just because I wanted to love the new Star Wars No, you're being too hard on yourself. You're being too hard on yourself because I've thought about this a lot. And honestly, I I went out of my way in my podcast eventually to be like, guys, we need to separate between the people who are just irrational asshole haters and those who genuinely have don't like this parts of this movie or whatever. And and that was, I think that was actually the key good turning point for Star Wars fans. Excuse me. 
it wasn't just turning away the haters and you know and shunning them and, and rallying around one another as Star Wars fans, but it was protecting one another's right to love Star Wars, but not all love the same things about Star Wars, right? Like that's mm-hmm. very key. And this is as someone who's very liberal politically, the, we liberals do this constantly of like, oh, you're not as liberal as I am, so you might as well be a conservative, and we just end up alienating one another, and then the Republicans win all the fucking elections. I'm not trying to get too political. I'm just my, my listeners know where I'm coming from, but the point is if if you trying to be on the same side and then you get caught up in things that's what the 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 horrible negativity wants you to do they want you to get caught up you know in in the same thing and i think that was actually a major step for star wars fandom was separating the people who hated the last jedi for all the reasons we despise and for then rational people to some people to not like it and then like it more and then people like you and i who really liked it and defended it but then saw flaws over time right don't you think it's impossible it's important that we distinguish between those two kinds of criticism oh absolutely and i mean when i say that i was kind of wrestling with it in my own mind it's not like i had any fear of like oh no i can't be a hater but it was more just like i wanted to love it and it took me time to accept the fact that there were things about the movie that i didn't love and i mean i like all the movies have that like i think there has yet to be a perfect star wars movie except maybe empire strikes back um you know, they all have flaws. And to me, that's very important as a fan. Like, I love these movies. Star Wars is my favorite film franchise, and it always will be. But I think as a fan, you have to take the good with the bad. Like, you know, I, I don't think anybody thinks that the prequels are perfect, flawless movies. Now, there are people that hate them, and there are people like me who love them and accept that there are flaws and that they could be better. But it's like, okay, but let me point out to you why these movies are still great despite the flaws. But, I mean, I think you're kidding yourself if you think, you know, all the prequels and all the Star Wars movies in general are perfect and flawless and couldn't be done any better because there's a lot of stuff they could do better. Um, But with The Last Jedi in particular, it wasn't just little nitpicky things like, oh, they're relying too much on nostalgia or, oh, that was a dumb cameo or, oh, I didn't like this particular character or this particular line. It was like, no, there were some more deep-seated things that I was like, I don't know if I'm okay with this. Um and especially for me, it's certain things with the treatment of Luke Skywalker, you know, and I know we talked about this already, but, you know, no, the no, fact no. that and for one thing, I, I totally agree with you. The Luke, Ray and Kylo scenes are all my favorite parts of that. movie. Yeah. We, we just want to keep getting back to that. It's exactly what me and Tim talk about this all the time is like the problem is even if the Poe and Finn and Rose stuff was better, we'd still want to get back to Luke, Ray and Kylo constantly in that movie. Yeah, and so it's not that I have a problem with Luke within the movie itself. It's just, you know, again, I think Ryan Johnson wrote and directed him beautifully, and Mark Hamill performed him beautifully. Just, you know, if you step back and look at it from, like, a, uh artistic direction standpoint. It's like they just took that character in a different direction mm-hmm. than I wanted to see him go. Mm-hmm. And it's like... Especially, so there's there's two things about it that kind of bother me. A, again, the fact that he dies at the end. I'm like, man, I can understand, you know, you taking Luke to this low point. See, that's so funny, because you, you said you, you're like, you knew Harrison Ford was going to die as Han Solo, but you didn't know Luke. Like, I felt like for sure Luke was going to die in this movie, and I didn't know anything ahead of time. I thought for sure he would I die. Thought, I, thought he, I thought he would die by the end of the trilogy. I didn't think oh, they would okay. kill him off. 
Last Jedi. Okay. And I was re- and I was really hoping that they wouldn't. But here's the thing. Going into the movie, I said, if they kill off Luke in this movie, I'm going to be freaking pissed. <laughs> and I came out of the movie and went, wow, that was a really good movie because I didn't want them to kill off Luke Skywalker. And they did it anyway. And they did it in a way that I actually was okay I mean, he with. He pulled the most but ninja then, Jedi move of all time, essentially. But the more yeah. I thought about it over yeah. time, I was like, I don't know if I am okay with this. But see, this is why I need to go back and watch it again. Yeah. Sometimes my opinion is just flip-flop. But the problem is the writing for Rose and Finn is just going to anger you, and so it's going to distract you from all the other goodness going on. And it's a shame because yeah. Kelly Marie Tran and John Boyega are great actors and great people, but they just got the weakest parts. Yeah, and here's the thing, though. For like, I'm even not one of those people that hates them for like the entire movie. Like Rose as a character, I think oh, is yeah. fine up until that last part where like she just falls apart at the end no here's the problem the problem is rose is always right and finn is always wrong to an irrational level like it would be much more compelling and realistic if they worked with each other and helped mature together that forget if it's romantic or not if even just as a friendship level like what if he was the one to free the fatiers like what if he was the one to have a good idea you know like maybe it's realistic that she would be much smarter more mature but like in terms of storytelling with star wars it's better to have a mutual relationship where you know like maybe rose is not the perfect one in the end and he has to point out something to her you know it's nothing to do with man or woman it just has to do with making these relationships complex the way leia i mean that's the thing even though the leia post stuff is also flawed the fact that they're both right and wrong in different points does make it interesting the fact that finn is always wrong and rose is always right is ultimately to me the undoing of both their storyline and the entire movie that's my that's the business two cents yeah no i i definitely i think you got some good points there yeah. like and so the end um, bothers me actually not as much as you because i'm already bothered at that point up until you know and so by that point i'm like okay it's like armageddon or whatever you know fuck it you know like yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you said you had two you did you had two problems did you oh yeah, yeah well yeah. just two two things about luke's characterization oh, yeah. that i think. like one uh-huh. is you know the fact they killed him off the end the yeah. other is when he says um, you know, and obviously Ray has already realized at this point that he is not the man she thought he was that, you know, he's reached this low point. He's given up on the Jedi. And I was okay with that. I'm like, okay, Luke's in a dark place. Let's see how he gets out of it. When he says, um, you know, when Ray is still trying to convince him to train her and he's like, what, you thought I came, you know, to the most remote place in the galaxy, like to be found and to train more Jedi. And he says, no, I, I came to this place to die. I'm like, like that was scraping the bottom of the barrel for me. Like, wow, you really took my childhood hero and brought him like as low as he could possibly go to the point where he's not just given up on the Jedi, but he's just given up on his own life. Like he just wanted to come out of this island and die and fade away into nothing. And I think that was also disappointing because, um, you know, they'd even set it up in the force awakens where Han is like, Oh, the people that knew him best think he went looking for the first Jedi temple. And so I was thinking like, Oh, Luke's gone looking for, you know, some ancient Jedi knowledge or like some way to restart the Jedi order, or maybe he's given up on the Jedi, but he's sort of going back to the origins of the force and thinking like, what else can we do? Where did we go wrong? What should we do differently? But no, he's like, no, I'm just here to die. Like, screw it all. But isn't that isn't that like a major comic book thing that we see all the time? Like Batman and the Pit and the Dark Knight Rises with Bane like giving up. Like, I feel like this is it's not uncommon for you know for damaged superheroes to be like, I'm causing more harm than good. It's better if I'm just outside out of the picture. Um, 
I, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's your point, though. Is yeah, that I guess. I mean, I just, yeah. I, I just yeah. didn't love that part. And that's you. one of those things that just, you know, is kind of a thorn in my side when I think about that movie. And I'm just like, eh, I just don't love that they did that. Well, the problem is we don't know what happened in between because they won't give it to us. The problem is we don't know what happened in between. Like, if they right. gave us some story about what the progression was to get him from upset to angry to bitter to I need to basically commit suicide or just leave this world, like, you know, and maybe we will get it, and then people will look back. That's the other thing, man. People could easily look back with new information in two, five, ten years and be like, oh, last Jedi was brilliant, this is all explained perfectly. We just don't have the information right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I think the other thing too. I mean, the reason that it bothers me that they killed him off is I just want more Luke Skywalker yes. stories. And I think you know, ten years from now, if we've gotten you know a, either an animated series or uh, a live action series showing like the adventures of Luke traveling the galaxy and recruiting new Jedi and like all the good that he did before Kylo brought it crashing down and caused him to give up and go into exile. Yeah, I think that would fill Look, that hole a little dude. bit more for me, and then I would be okay seeing the end of his life when we've seen more of the middle parts that i was more looking forward to seeing i I know everyone's saying there's no way we're gonna get luke han and leia and the mandalorian but you know what the voice actors in battlefront for those three actors all did a great job so you know like i i don't if you can if you can pull up a convincing luke han and leia for me in the battlefront i know it's a video game so the expectations are lower but still i thought all those voice performances were great Um, yeah well and and have you seen uh the people that have you know, made the comparisons between Mark Hamill and uh, Sebastian Stan. Sebastian Stan. Look, they look exactly the same. And Sebastian yeah. Stan is a spectacular actor who could totally pull that off. Because Sebastian Stan is nothing like the Winter Soldier in real life. I mean, that he's such a good actor. He's so, he's so, so, so good. He's going to be the next Captain America. I think it's the main problem, right? So they've been lining him up to be the next Cap for a while. So the Marvel That's and true. Star Wars are going to have to battle. I mean, I don't know. Do you want to be Captain America or Luke Skywalker? I think I know where Sebastian Stan lands on. On that equation and it l- l- rhymes with rook my walker <laughs> i mean luke i mean not luke uh smart camel calls him his son and everything it's hilarious yeah yeah, yeah i i mean yeah. gosh like yeah yeah that's yeah. amazing that's awesome so all right buddy well thank you so much this is great i could pick your brain forever um i uh i, I knew it'd be a be we go it's kind of skating all over the place but uh and you know and i'm listening to your guys podcast constantly too so i'm you know i, I hope um, guys if you want the full experience listen to the saga continues and you'll see why we can just jump into certain topics because yes i've talked to tim i've talked to paul first time talking to you kyle was great but also listening to your podcast I'm 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 with you guys. Even when I don't agree with a thousand percent of your opinions, I, I understand where you guys are coming from all the time. And oh, this is my final big question. You can do a hard pass on this one if you want, <laughs> which is, what do you make of Raylo shipping? <laughs> um, and this is coming from someone who, by the way, has contributors and close female friends who are major open Raylo shippers, and we talk uh, all the time, and they can't even explain it to me. Like, they admit that being young feminist women, liberal women, it's irrational, that someone as horrible as Kylo Ren, it seems to be totally an attraction to Adam Driver. I'm just being totally honest here. Uh, and, you know, the the whole romance. But this whole notion that he can be redeemed, let's be honest, if Vader didn't die in the original trilogy, you'd still have to kill him or put him behind bars, right? I mean, he's yeah, still a horrible yeah. genocidal killer. And so even if Kylo says he's sorry and takes down the First Order, like, 
you, you don't get a get out of jail free pass for that right plus he's like tried to mind rape her and all sorts of shit like i don't, I don't understand <laughs> like i do not get it what do you make of this it, 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 again you can do a hard pass on this i'll cut it out <laughs> well I'll, I'll give you a hard pass but not on the question it's a hard pass on the Raylo shipping um yep. for me personally i'm just like no you people are crazy but just the redemption of kylo let's stick with the redemption, the of, redemption kylo. of kylo i think is very possible and and here's why um and and sorry you know i'm not trying to put anybody down that's into that kind of stuff no, i i no. feel like this is because listeners know i'm a major feminist on, the, on almost every issue this is just one i just don't understand see i'm I'm only 27, but I feel like a grumpy old man when people talk about <laughs> shit and like Raylo, where they're like mashing the characters' names together and stuff. Mm-hmm. Just I don't know. That's that feels like a whole like Tumblr like subculture that I never got into. Um, it's kind of a fun secret passphrase though to see how hardcore someone is if they say they're hardcore Star Wars fan and be like, "Are you Raylo shipper?" If they don't even know what that means, you know they're not a hardcore fan. <laughs> what, see, the, to me, right? that means you're more of a fan that I can relate to, just because that's not the side of fandom that I'm interested in at all. No, 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 um, not. not whether you are a real shipper whether you know what it means is what i'm saying yeah yeah yeah. um but no i so any romantic relationship between ray and kylo i am not interested in whatsoever but i do think there is a possibility of kylo being redeemed um and as much as i i don't think he's like if he does get redeemed it's probably going to be another vader like sacrifice which i you obviously got to pull it off in a way that doesn't feel redundant um yeah part of me wants that to happen part of me wants him to die saving ray and part of me wants ray to murder him (laughs) yeah well and here's my reasoning for this though like after the force awakens you know a lot of people thought oh he killed his father he's irredeemable now and i was like "Eh, i don't know because you see how conflicted he is about it and i was like we'll have to wait and see with the last jedi and see sort of what the repercussions are the genocide yeah And sure enough, well, see, I don't think Kylo commits genocide on quite the same level that Vader does. Like, sure, he murders all of Luke's Jedi students. Um, what's the First Order but, been doing? That's the pro- This is the other problem with well, the yeah, saga movie. The, we don't know what's but, going on. But it was Hux who gave the order to fire Starkiller Base. It wasn't Kylo Ren. I suppose. Um, in fact, Kylo wasn't even there. He was on Takodana kidnapping Rey. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would agree. I mean, yes, Kylo's done a lot of bad stuff. But as far as just from a moral standpoint of like possibly redeeming the character, you know, it's like at first it seems like the big thing that you think he can't come back from is killing his own father. Like he's killed a lot of people. But once you've killed your own father, you've gone pretty far off the deep end. Mm-hmm. But then you see an episode uh or in the last jedi you know snoke's telling him like yeah sure you did it but the deed split your your soul to the bone and you're so conflicted about it and it's made you weaker why, and should, so I care? It's like, why should i care of all the mass murderers and all the history of the worlds and galaxies and universes why should i care about this one guy being redeemed and i don't even know if i well, believe in redemption I'm, I'm not saying i'm not saying that he's gonna get off scot-free in court if, you know if we're talking real world implications here i'm just talking about like again just like vader like is there a possibility is there still good in him right and i thought so i thought like and then you know of course you see he hesitates to pull the trigger on leia and he's gonna let her live um you get to the snoke throne room scene and he teams up with ray and he kills 
you know, the, the guy that was his mentor on the dark side. And so you're thinking, Oh, maybe he actually does have a chance to break free from For this five seconds. Um, and then immediately is right. well, willing to burn the entire galaxy to rule with Ray. Right. Because he says, you know, Ray's like, Oh, come with me. You can be a Jedi again. We can fix this. And he says, no, come with me. We're going to rule the galaxy. Like Snoke's dead. I'm taking up this mantle. Now I finally have ultimate power within my grasp. I'm taking it. And I thought, okay, now that's it. Now he stepped over the threshold. There's no turning back. Mm-hmm. He is, you know, irredeemable at this point. But there's a very subtle moment at the end of the movie where he marches into the resistance base after they've all evacuated and he picks up uh, the Han Solo dice off the, the dice. floor, yep. which are, you know, it, it's all, it was all part of Luke's force vision. And he has one last force connection with Ray. And she shuts, shuts the door on him, shuts him out, yeah. and flies away, and then the dice fade, and he kind of is just crouched there on the floor by himself, and he looks down at the floor, and it's very subtle, but it's just this look of, mm-hmm. even though now he has everything that he wanted, he has the ultimate power, he's in charge, at the same time, he has nothing. You know, his mother has left him, uh, Ray, who is you know the only person that really has ever cared for him at least I'm sure that he feels like um, has left him, you know, Luke's gone and basically just played him for a fool. And, you know, like in that moment, I can kind of read him pondering like, man, did I mess up? And so carrying on into episode nine, is he just going to go full evil and have that chip on his shoulder? Or is that people like that don't change? And if they try and sell the change, it won't be, it won't be convincing. The only reason Vader did what he did was that was a split I'm second decision to save his son. I'm keeping an open mind to it, so we'll see what happens. Well, no, I guess uh, you know. I mean, I talk you know a lot about philosophy of religion of, of of Star Wars, and George Lucas created a pretty brilliant blending of Christian themes like the Holy Birth of Anakin and the Redemption arc and blah 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 with Eastern themes. I just relate way more to the Eastern themes and not so much to the Western Christian Judeo Christian themes of of like this sort of negative idea of like i don't have time for redemption we have too many horrible killers in this world whether mass murderers in our own country or al-qaeda or you know whoever you know there's just too many horrible i don't have time for it i'm if i'm ray i'm taking out kylo and if he helps me great and and you know what if like put him behind bars make everyone happy and not have to kill him whatever fine but like there's no way he ever becomes an adjusted part of society whatsoever let alone a romantic interest of ray which is just completely mind-blowing to me yeah Right. And again, that's why I don't think there's going to be any kind of romantic arc there. No. And I think if if Kylo does get redeemed, it's going to end with him dying and, you know, making a sacrifice to save Rey or to destroy the First Order or something like that. Um, but I'm not necessarily making that prediction. I'm just saying I still think it's definitely a possibility. Can I give you my theory about about the Rayla shippers? In addition to sure. openly having a crush on Adam Driver, which is totally fine because I openly am in love with Felicity Jones. So, hey, go for it. Um, <laughs> which is... And I'm a Natalie Portman man myself. Well, I was going to so. say, if you, love Na- if you love Padme and Anakin, but you maybe agree that their writing wasn't always spot on all the time, or maybe their chemistry wasn't amazing, it's undeniable that Adam Driver and Daisy really have great chemistry just as actors on screen oh absolutely and so if you you are an anakin padme person i could totally see how you'd be a raylo shipper because let's be honest it's not a coincidence they cast someone that looks vaguely like anakin with similar hair and similar features and so forth like adam driver people thought that was anakin skywalker in the in the last jedi trailer at the 
beginning there from the back, right? I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. here's the thing. I mean, Kylo is without a doubt my favorite new character of the new trilogy. And one of the things I love about him so much is that it feels like we're getting a glimpse of what Darth Vader would have been like yeah. without the suit. <laughs> yep. Right. Yeah. Which is what we, we all thought we were getting in the prequels initially, and that was part of the disappointment, was that we mm-hmm. thought episode three was going to be Darth Vader before the suit. Um, but it doesn't yeah. really happen, because he just slaughters, and then he gets crushed by, by Obi-Wan. Um, which I was actually okay with that. I think the bigger issue with the prequel structure is that like, if you replace Attack of the Clones, or not replace, if you merge Attack of the Clones with what happens in the Clone Wars cartoon series, which what we thought was going to be the centerpiece of the prequel trilogies was the actual Clone Wars, like, Lucas held onto those cards for too long. But we did eventually get it, so I can't really complain too much, but... You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, so anyways, back to the relationship verse. I think it's an Anakin Padme thing. I, I totally do. And it is, it is a great mirror of that, for sure. But seeing how much they put Natalie Portman's character in Refrigerator, increasingly as the prequel trilogy went on, I mean, she is the lead character of Phantom Menace, and she gets sidelined almost as much as Jar Jar, in some ways, as the series goes on. And she's such a spectacular actress that when she gives the Anakin, you're breaking my heart, like, it, honestly, I know it's cheesy, it makes me cry every single time. Like, hmm. the Anakin, you're breaking my heart, like, it gives me chills because she's a fucking phenomenal actress, and, and they do, like, I feel like, like, right at the end there, when he's fully getting evil, they start getting the chemistry together. I think part of the problem was Natalie was, like, significantly... Uh, a little bit older, but also way more established and experienced than Hayden. Whereas Adam Driver was more experienced, yes, than Daisy Ridley, but wasn't like that much of a gap. You know what I mean? And so yeah. they're more on the same level. Um, and I think that been too with, you saw with, you know, with Obi-Wan and uh, Anakin episode two to episode three, like Obi-Wan, Anakin episode three have this amazing chemistry, like boom, right off the bat. You know, you can see building in episode two and then right, right away episode three. And that's where the Clone Wars comes in. But you know what, man, it's all a mess. And, and I'm always saying, I would rather the things I love, whether it's the Avengers or Star Wars, be a little bit of a hot mess in an attempt to get emotion and stakes and creativity. And you know what? You know what I mean? Like, for 90% yeah. of goodness, I'm okay with 10% of sloppiness. Like, even the original Avengers, and I'm a big fan of Avengers Age of Ultron, like, way more than most people. I, you know, I build a reputation of defending Ultron. I do love the original Avengers both a hot mess during 10 to 20%, depending on your perspective. But I would much rather have that than something that's too perfect. And I felt like for me, the biggest problem with, with the last Jedi is I, it's almost like I can see Ryan Johnson's brain moving with each move that he makes in that movie, right? Like here's what I intended to do. And here's what I want you to think about my intention, you know, and whether that's fair or not, like I felt like there's a little too much perfection going on, like trying to be perfect. I'd rather a little bit of a, a little bit of a hot mess. So, uh, but mostly, I think Star Wars, you know, is is in that vein. And like I said, the lore has been so great that even if there's a specific property or you know show or movie that you're not crazy about, there's always tons of great lore. Um, and we're mm-hmm. seeing that with the prequels coming back, uh, uh, the prequels material coming back. So, I mean, let's be honest. People like Dave Filoni and Kathleen Kennedy have not only like kept the prequels relevant; they've raised an entire new generation to love the prequels. We're not, ma'am. Yeah, that's um, true. So, um, anyways, I, 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 I was thrilled. I gotta let you go, but I was thrilled to get, get some prequel quotes out of you right away at the beginning. That was awesome. I, I might even put that up front. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's fine. Because you're a totally pretty cool guy, and you're you're uh, a little a little bigger. All right, man. So why don't you? I mean, I, I I'm constantly promoting you guys and, and reposting, but give the uh, Bizzlecast listener uh, listeners the uh, the info where they can find you. The saga continues, and so forth, and we'll let you go. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, our podcast is Star Wars The Saga Continues. You can find us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. Um, that's where we're most active. We're also on Facebook, just uh, Star Wars The Saga Continues. Um, yeah, and we should be probably putting out a new episode in the next week or two here. It always kind of depends on the flow of news and what's going on. But um, yeah, we have a lot of fun talking Star Wars on there. We're kind of infamous for our uh, long episodes because we get oh, yeah. going forever on discussions and you know we had our, our last Jedi review was six hours it was great um, it was so great because there was oh. so much to talk about oh, and discuss man. with that movie it and we so have fun. no we have no filter so you know we leave no stone unturned when it comes to speculation and theories and all that kind of stuff absolutely and age is great too like like when I first interviewed Tim a few months back we went I listened to you guys Rogue One review. And went back and listened to that. Um, so you guys definitely check them out. It's so great to have you on, Kyle. Thank you for, for giving me this much time and um, giving all of us this much time and and uh, and bringing and bringing your A game, brother. I knew you would, though. I, there was never any doubt about that. Oh well, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. All right, thank you, brother. Guys, check out the saga continues. That's been Kyle. Seeing with Tim and Paul on the podcast huge fan as you guys know it's been great month thank you so much all you guys out there and all you supporters you'll be finding me online got new clone wars commentaries coming soon with simmy and more as you guys know but for now the bizzlecast is out yum, yum. Oh, hey.